Hi there, we were listening to YouTube shorts about Some members of the Bible prophecies. The temple could be built in less than six months. This is Kingdom God, Covenant official. He is coming back soon. Now that it's almost 2023, I want to show you the Bible prophecy updates that are likely to take place this upcoming year. First up, we got Israel versus Iran. Now, for those who do not know, Iran is actually sitting at 60% weapons-grade uranium. And it takes 90% in order to become nuclear-grade. Now, watch this. The newly elected Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed to never let Iran get to 90%, which means 2023 will be the very year that this massive Middle Eastern war will take place. Mm. And we know, according to Daniel 11, that this massive war between Persia, which is Iran, and the entire Middle East will break out. It says, uh, and now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become something of his riches, he shall blah, 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 the kingdom of Greece. What? Could this be the very war that ends all other wars? Become we'll have to find riches, out. He shall... 2023 could also be the year that we see the rebuilding of the third temple. 30% of all Israeli Jews want the third temple to be built, which is the highest rating it's ever been. Some members within the Temple Institute claim that the temple could be built in less than six months. Guys, we need to start getting ready because he is coming back soon. Now that it's almost 20... At 3.15 in the morning, I got out of bed. I started to see this vision that the Lord was showing me. And I saw what would look to be like a thunderstorm, like dark clouds swarming, like a spiral. And then I saw Donald Trump. And then I heard the Holy Spirit <laughs> say, Mar-a-Lago. And then I saw a vision of Mar-a-Lago. And I saw this white flash over it in the sky. And when it flashed, it was in the shape of a cross. And then when it flashed, I also heard, instead of a lightning strike, I heard what sounded like a ding sound. And I heard the Lord say, the Mar-a-Lago raid is at the center of what's happening. And then he said, and I'm allowing it all for the sake of the kingdom. And then he said, the pressure, making room for the gospel to be preached. He said, there are people that think that if you voted for Trump, you must be saved. And it's just not true. And then I heard the Lord say, political affiliation does not equal salvation and then he said righteousness is only won by my son and right now i'm giving you a chance to find it at 3 15 in the morning i got out of bed i started to see this vision that the lord was showing me. And i saw what would look to be like a thunderstorm like dark clouds swarming like a spiral and then i saw donald trump and then i heard the holy spirit say mar-a-lago and then Nothing but Hitler, both a plus in there. You are conf other people say, you are confirming what I've been sensing my spirit. People are not our salvation. Jesus is praise God forever. I am Team Trump and I do not consider myself a MAGA. I really wanted to make sure I was praying for him and his family. I'm not expecting... Donald Jackass Trump to save us. Pray for him to be used as a vessel for God's glory. God's glory. Uh, fake Christians. As a Christian saved by Jesus, his precious blood, I voted for who is on God's side. Not killing baby, promote homosexuals, destroying America, 
printing money like crazy, I will vote again. Again, who will protect God's church and support Israel? Did you go to bed? Uh, reading about Q and on. Sleep. Reading about. Were you reading? QAnon. Sounds like uh, Q stuff. Sounds like QAnon. Nine manipulation tricks that will make you the master of control. Oh, Number one, to make someone second guess themselves, simply ask, are you sure about that? Number two, if someone tries to argue are with you, sure you stay that? calm and whisper your response. They'll have to quiet down to hear you. Number three, when someone says sorry to you, don't just say no problem. Say thank you and they won't do it again. Number four, if someone bullies you, laugh at them. They'll become embarrassed. Number five, if hmm. someone asks you, do you know what it's time it is, nod your head and say yes. Number six, <laughs> to stop someone from yelling at you, stand closer to them and say, having a bad day. Number seven, if you want someone to stop talking, drop something on the ground and as you pick it up, interrupt them. Number eight, <laughs> if you want to capture everyone's attention, look at the sky in shock. This will create a commotion. Number nine, <laughs> to divert someone's attention from a topic, ask them a personal question. This will make them focus on themselves instead. Nine minutes. Okay, where are the prophecies? 2024, more prophecies. Um, Nostradamus predicted the queen would pass 500 years ago. Michel de Nostradamus, more commonly known by his pen name Nostradamus, was a French astrologer and history's most famous sage and seer, renowned for his clairvoyance and ability to seemingly see into the future all the way back from the 15th century. Many of his predictions have been later proven to be eerily accurate, even ringing true today. In his book of prophecies, Nostradamus wrote, Because they disapproved of his divorce, a man who later they considered unworthy, the people will force out the king of the islands, a man who will replace him who never expected to be king. Could Nostradamus have predicted that after Queen Elizabeth, Prince Charles would take the throne? There are still many who disapprove of his divorce to Princess Diana, and there are many who consider him unworthy of the throne. Is it possible that the people will force him out, and a man who never expected to be king will replace him? Could this be referring to Prince William, or someone else entirely? Only time will tell. Nostradamus predicted the queen would pass 500 years ago. Michel de Nostradamus, more commonly known by his pen name. No this Bible prophecy is being fulfilled, and no one is talking about it. This prophecy is found died. in the book of Revelation chapter 9. According to the scripture, when the sixth angel sounds his trumpet, the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates will be released, along with a vast army of horsemen. These horsemen, who are described as having breastplates of fire, hyacinth, and sulfur, will bring death hyacinth. and destruction upon a third of mankind. But who are these fallen hyacinth. angels, and why are they bound at the Euphrates River? The Euphrates River has been a significant location throughout biblical history, and it is believed to be the site of the Garden of Eden. The fallen angels are said to be the angels who rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven. They are bound at the Euphrates River until the time of their release, which will bring about the end of the world as we know it. 
While this may seem like a frightening prophecy, it is important to remember that God is in control of all things. As we await this Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. There is a prophecy in the Bible that when I read it, I am filled with absolute terror. It is found in the book of Zechariah, and it says this, A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided within your... I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Half of the city will go into exile, but the remaining half will remain inside the city. Guys, the prophecy literally says that Israel will be conquered in the last days by the surrounding nations. Now, the population of Jerusalem is 874,000, meaning nearly half a million people are going into exile. This is why Jesus says, when the abomination of desolation is standing where it ought not to be, let those in Judea flee to the mountains. And Judea is the entire land surrounding Jerusalem. This entire area is going to be utterly destroyed if you want more details about the coming invasion click the link in the description hmm. there was a prophecy in coming the bible that when i read it i am filled with absolute terror it is found in the book of zechariah and it says this a day of the lord is coming jerusalem when your possessions will be plundered and divided within your very walls. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Half of the city will go into exile, but the remaining half will remain inside the city. Guys, the prophecy literally says that Israel will be conquered in the last days by the surrounding nations. Now, the population Persia. of Jerusalem is 874,000, nearly half a million people Maybe. are going into exile. This is why Jesus says, when the abomination of desolation is standing where it ought not to be, Israel let those in control. Judea flee to the mountains. And Judea is the we entire don't get land Israel surrounding... To up on this fucking genocide then yeah Persia or Iran through is was funding Hamas right so um yeah they're gonna they're gonna step in say cut off aid to Israel We'll uh, step in, okay? We're gonna fucking step in. Do not fear for these things must happen. Instead, rejoice. Jesus is coming and work on your faith. name of the antichrist revealed fucking diaper donald thought you were gonna say diaper donald inspiring philosophy hmm i don't want you to hear this i think this is gonna be a popular podcast so i'm gonna dual in Revelation, when it says reckon up his name, for it said number of a man and the number is 666. And so he wrote down 666 in a effort to best pronounce the name that he was hearing in this vision of the future. What if you can actually pronounce it? Chai, Zai, Stigma. Chai makes a 
or a ch sound. Xi is a z, and stigma is s. Politics, 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 gal. So I'm gonna publish um, while this thing is freezing. Awesome democratic strategist David Bender on politics, girl! Exclamation point. Hashtag Midas Touch. Awesome democratic. Fucking working. Awesome. Democratic. Strategist. David Bender. On politics, girl. Politics AF. I mean... Politics girl. Midas touch. Did everybody tell you about the time when then? Did I ever tell you about the time that Bill Clinton shook both of my hands? Question mark. Did I ever tell you about uh, the time Bill Clinton Shook both my hands. <laughs> both my hands. Right. Okay. Awesome democratic strategist. Could I just post that? How come? In Revelation, when it says reckon up his name, for it's a number of a man and the number is 666. And so he wrote down 666 in a effort to best pronounce the name that he was hearing in this vision of the future. What if you can actually pronounce it? Chai, Zai, Stigma. Chai makes a ch or a ch sound. Zai is a z and Stigma is s. So if you put it all together, you get ch s. Jesus? Jesus. Jesus. Oh, no shit. Now, I know you've heard that. That, wow. that name sounds awfully a lot like another name that we all know. <laughs> Jesus. You are yeah. so close. You almost got it. But let me help you out just a little bit. It's actually... <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. In Revelation, when it says reckon up his name, for it's a number of a man and the number is 666. And so he wrote down 666 in a effort to best pronounce the name that he was hearing Inspiring in this vision of the future. Jesus. What if you can actually pronounce it? Chai, Zai, Stigma. Chai makes a ch 
or a ch sound. Xi is a z, and stigma is s. So if you put it all together, you get ch s. Jesus. Jesus. Now, I know you've heard that. That name sounds awfully a lot like it's Jesus the Antichrist. Was Jesus the Antichrist? Was Jesus the Antichrist? Was Jesus the Antichrist? Jesus the Antichrist? I thought it was Diaper Donald. Crazy emoji. Diaper Donald, probably the fucking Antichrist. Heard that. Did this sentence? Do you actually know where we are on the biblical prophetic calendar? Some of this might seem super intense and it may shock you, but I have to tell you. Now, there are a myriad of things happening in between every one of these steps, but I want to show you the key milestones of what's actually happening. Stephen Marquez. We are currently in the church age. The church age began at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and it'll end at the rapture of the church. The exact day and time of the rapture is not known by any man. The next milestone is the tribulation. According to Daniel chapter 9, the moment the tribulation begins is the moment the false prophet signs a seven-year peace treaty in Jerusalem, Israel. And that great tribulation will last exactly seven years according to the Hebrew calendar. The seven-year tribulation then ends with Jesus Christ's second coming with the church. Immediately following Christ's second coming is a thousand year reign of Jesus on the earth called the millennium. The next major milestone after the millennium is what's called the eternal state. Subscribe now to learn more. You actually know where we are on the biblical prophetic yeah, calendar. Gonna, Some of this might we're seem get rid super intense, and it may shock you, but I have to tell you. Now, there are a myriad of things happening in between every one of these steps, but I want to show you the key milestones of what's actually happening. According to the Bible, we are currently in the church age. The church age began at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and it'll end at the rapture of the church. The exact day and time of the rapture is not known by any man. The next milestone is the tribulation. According to Daniel chapter 9, the moment the tribulation begins is the moment the false prophet signs a seven-year peace treaty in Jerusalem, Israel. And that great tribulation will That's last tough. exactly seven years according to the Hebrew calendar. The seven-year tribulation then yeah. ends with Jesus Christ's second coming with the church. Me. Immediately following Christ's second coming is a thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth called the it's Millennium. The next major milestone after the Millennium is what's called the Eternal State. Subscribe now to learn more. You actually know where we are on the biblical... Did you know that this Bible prophecy is happening right in front of your eyes? This Check this Cade's out. Cross. In the book of Revelation, in the Bible, it talks about the great Euphrates River in the Middle East. It says in the last days before God destroys the earth that this great river will actually dry up. And this is the current state of that river. And that's not even all. The Bible says that God actually imprisoned four fallen angels and they're tied up underneath that river. And according to the Bible timeline, mm. when the river dries up, those... 
that river. And that's not even all. The Bible says that God actually imprisoned four fallen angels and they're tied up underneath that river. And according to the Bible timeline, when the river dries up, those fallen angels will be released onto the earth to destroy one-third of mankind. And the river is almost dried up. So it's only a matter of time before those angels are back on the earth. If you want to stay up to date with Bible prophecy, subscribe or follow for more. Right Did you know that... Look at us, just two regular guys in America having breakfast in a diner. So what are you voting for in 2024? I don't know, and so it just trying to eat my breakfast. Here in Door County, Wisconsin, the population has voted for the eventual winner of the presidential election every year since 2000. Oh yeah? Yeah, in 2000 for Bush, 2004 for Bush, 2008 for Obama, 2012 for Obama, 2016 for Trump, and 2020 for Biden. So, so you can see why reporters are interested in who in you Wisconsin. might be voting for in 2024. The demographic here has changed a lot recently, you know? How so? Migrants, of course, the Canadians. Oh no, not up north, from the south. Oh. Well, it turns out that immigrants have boosted farming, manufacturing, and tourism in the area. Some people here like that, some people don't, you know? And what about you? Oh, I'm just trying to eat my breakfast. Look at us, just two regular guys in America having breakfast in a diner. So what are you voting for in 2024? Uh, I don't know, and so just trying to eat my breakfast. Here in Door County, Wisconsin, the population has voted for the eventual winner of the presidential election every year since 2000. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah in 2000 for Bush, reaching out to the Wisconsin Young Democrats. For Obama, 2012 for Obama, 2016 for Trump, and 2020 for Biden. So you can see why reporters are interested in who you might be voting for in 2024. The demographic here has changed a lot recently. I'm going to start you know? campaigning in Wisconsin, Young Democrats. So I'm going to Wisconsin, Young Democrats. College Democrats. Support my campaign. You can see why reporters are interested in who you might be voting for in 2024. The demographic here has changed a lot recently, you know? How so? Migrants. Of course, the Canadians. Oh, no, not God's final warning to the last generation. Revelation 14, 6, 7. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. God calls people to repent of their sins and turn to him, he promises to forgive those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. God calls people to have faith in Jesus Christ. He promises that those who believe in Jesus will be saved from eternal punishment and will have eternal life. Judgment is coming um, for those who do not Yeshua? repent and believe in Jesus Christ. He Meaning says that they will Yeshua? be thrown into hell where they will suffer eternal torment. Revelation 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, God's final warning to the Not last Not the same generation. person. 
people are praising Amen Ra. Amen, Jesus saved me so many times. It's like Zeus. It's a Latin name for Zeus. Um, uh, and Leo. And Satan. Satan. And Jesus is the uh, Latin name for, um, Zeus. According to AKA and Leo. Satan. Um Yeshua. Is Christ's real name. Christ consciousness is here. Already here. Amen. Uh, when uh, when people say That's white Jesus. White Jesus. Jesus, according to ancient texts, holy scriptures. Satan, who? The Lord's in over was Lord over Yeshua is Christ's real name. 
Congratulations, everybody. Exclamation point. Now. Six thousand years of tyranny is over. Six thousand years of tyranny is over. Is over. Sounds like Chase goes hungry. Thank you, God. Tristan. God's final warning to the last generation. Revelation 14, 6, 7. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. God calls people to repent of their sins and turn to him. He promises to forgive those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. God calls people to have faith in Jesus Christ. He promises that those who believe in Jesus will be saved from eternal punishment and will have eternal life. Judgment is coming for those who do not repent and believe in Jesus Christ. He says that they will be thrown into hell where they will suffer eternal torment. Revelation 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, God's final warning False to the God. last generation. Revelation 14, 6, 7. So we are the last then generation. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said in a loud False voice, God. Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water. God calls people to repent of their See sins the and turn to him. Water. He promises to forgive those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. I have okay. come home and I have stood at the... This conspiracy is that there was this elitist group in the world that was aligned with like Nazism, with the Rockefellers of changing our standard music from 432 hertz to 440 hertz. What the theory is, is that 440 hertz, it's not a frequency that it's tuned to bring clarity or healing. It does the opposite of stress, anxiety, anger. The frequency that it moves in is not when aligned. When president, we'll uh, switch it back yeah, to 432. So it in or, dissonance you know. with what we would naturally perceive as soothing or 
or calming or Maybe normal. So kind of like how everything stuff. works together. 432 hertz is that golden ratio of hertz. But this globalist, elitist, whatever you want to call them, wanted to change it to 440 to basically control the masses. So you'd be more susceptible to going to war, adapting ideologies, inciting chaos. Conspiracy is that there news a radical change in Vatican policy. Pope Francis has formally approved allowing priests to bless same-sex couples. The decision came in a new document released this morning. It explains the major change in policy by Thank insisting you. that people seeking God's love and mercy shouldn't be subject to an exhaustive moral. Ladies and gentlemen, this is wicked. Um, <laughs> the Pope, the Catholic Church, is of Satan. Uh, it's to bring in the Antichrist, um, the son of perdition. Uh, this man has many devils in him. Uh, you need to repent <laughs> and leave this system. A system that molests children, a system that tries to control you. Uh, this is how the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, rebuked uh, religious leaders. John 8, 44. Ye are of your father the devil, in the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Please, get saved. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for sinners. There's a radical change in Vatican policy. Pope Francis has formally Fucking approved saved. allowing priests to bless I mean, same-sex uh, couples. The decision the is, uh, is born of Satan. It explains the major change in policy by insisting... Apparently don't know that... Uh... There, pedophilia. Okay, it wasn't homosexual. You are on. Love. Period. Apparently don't know that the word homosexual was introduced into the Bible not long ago. hundred years ago or something? It's supposed to be um, pederast. Pederasty. Chalet. But somebody, uh, I give with you in that respect. Catholic Church and all churches have been held by the law and never held to account for their crimes against children. Come here, hear about the crimes against children.
wicked cult. It's the actually the fucking uber Christians. Uh, yeah, and that includes uh, fundamental, and and that includes the born again Christians! Exclamation point! Born against! Exclamation point! Especially. They, uh, Republican lawmakers are fucking worse, like, like Matt Gates. So many, so many. Engaging. Republican lawmakers. They're Christians. They're fucking Christians. Dear Christians. Fucking fake Christians. Fucking fake Christians, man. CT today. CT today. Pontifex. Francis. Apparently, I said uh, you are misguided in demonizing a huge segment of the population because you apparently don't know that the word homosexual was introduced into the Bible not long ago. It was supposed to be pederasty or pedophile, and I agree with you in that respect. The Catholic Church and all churches have been held above the law never held to account for their crimes against children, and that includes born-again like yourself, especially your born-agains and Republicans, too. Look at the statistics. Clergy and Republican lawmakers are constantly engaging in sin and caught. It's uh, doing uh, um, the lion's share. Of that. 
lion's share. Lion's share. Broken. The cult like and highly susceptible to manipulation. into easy targets, turns kids into easy targets. Highly susceptible to manipulation and coercion. Okay. Select all, copy. Oops. Oh, shit. Oh, no, I accidentally, uh, fucking. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, crap. I'm gonna delete it. Discard. I'm gonna delete it. I accidentally pressed it, all that stuff. Comment deleted. I guess I'm going to try again. Hungry. Kind of. Did you know that saccharin actually makes you hungrier? And rats, it turns them into obese. Ancient texts. Okay, so I'm like deleting stuff. Uh. Oh shit. Brainwashing. Demonizing love. Fucking demonizing love.
Okay, 34 years after Dyatlov incident. What is that? Russian hikers who went missing were later found. Okay. We're doing prophecies 2024. Oh man, come on now. Oh, applicants were teachers of the Greek philosophers. The hell? They don't want you to hear this yet. Um, did we listen to this? Nostradamus is going to chilling companies and predictions their crazy high for 2024. Is allowed to stay warm this winter. Nostradamus's prophecies may be cryptic, but some of them have also proven to be eerily correct. From war and destruction to the future of the Catholic Church, here are four of the poet's most devastating predictions for 2024. Nostradamus's visions of the future are biblical in their imagery, particularly when it comes to images of the end of the world. I think Nostradamus in his prophecies often shows a fascination and horror. And such images, fantastical as they often are, have grown more believable in recent years with the advent of climate change. As noted by several analysts, Nostradamus's earlier quatrains certainly lay the groundwork for a world facing the catastrophic effects of global warming, and 2024 seems to be no different. Several interpreters of Nostradamus's quatrains point to one describing boiling seas, rivers, and lakes, alongside the prediction of a great drought. They suggest this is evidence that the oracle yeah. predicted that climate change would lead to a greater portion of the Earth becoming unlivable for humans and animals. Indeed, scientific consensus claims that rising sea temperatures are harming marine life, meaning that Nostradamus's prediction isn't as off the wall as it might first appear. Yeah. Plastic, Since the COVID-19 pandemic, global news cycles have been dominated by the outbreak of war. In February 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine, pushing tensions between the superpower and the West to their highest point since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Though Russia seemingly expected their neighbor to fold in a matter of days, the conflict looks unlikely to be resolved anytime soon. In the fall of 2023, Israel declared war on Hamas following a brutal attack on Israeli civilians, leading to intense bombing of the Gaza Strip and thousands of further deaths. Analysts of Nostradamus claim that his quatrains predict further conflict for 2024, with the poet specifically predicting that a huge naval battle will take place. For instance, in Nostradamus' The Complete Prophecies for the Future, Mario Redding highlights a quatrain describing a calamitous war that he believes is brought about by two great allied powers. The British monarchy lost its long-reigning matriarch, Queen Elizabeth II, in 2022 at the age of 96. While Charles III became the new king at the moment of her death, royal watchers had to wait until May 2023 for his coronation. It was an opulent affair full of pomp and ceremony as the UK celebrated its new monarch and wished him a long reign. However, despite going through one of the most turbulent periods in living memory, the British royals should expect even more upheaval in 2024, at least according to Nostradamus. For Mario Redding's Nostradamus, after the lines predicting a calamitous war, the quatrain envisions, soon afterwards a new king shall be anointed, who for a long time will appease the earth. Some have interpreted this as meaning that King Charles will choose to abdicate and make way for a monarch who might enjoy greater longevity. However, another quatrain foresees a king being forced from the throne. Though his son Prince William is next in line, the Irish examiner has pointed to the claim that one with no mark of a king shall take the throne, and suggested it means Prince Harry will assume power. It's not just the British royal family that is believed to see a momentous change of guard in 2024. According to some sources, the Catholic Church is also going to see a new figurehead emerge. 
Pope Francis will turn 88 in December 2024, which makes the prediction appear especially prescient. Arguably, the Pope has served his time, and it would certainly make sense for him to retire while still able to fulfill his duties as pontiff. The lines highlighted by the Irish Examiner, however, foretell the Pope's death and his replacement by a young Roman, though arguably Roman in this case refers to the Church itself, with the youthful replacement predicted to unleash acute damage on the pontificate. But Catholics don't need to panic. The fact is that though Nostradamus is famous for hundreds of uncanny predictions, they aren't all interpreted the same way, nor assigned to the same time period by analysts. It is well known that Nostradamus concealed the nature of his prophecies. The quatrain highlighted by the Irish Examiner, for example, turns up in Mario Redding's Nostradamus too. only this time it's said to relate to 2056. Even in prophecy, it appears nothing is set in stone. Starting tomorrow, this odd rice hack can change your life and help you drop up to 13 pounds week after week. The reason your belly gets big is not because you got a little fat beneath the skin. You get big fat under the muscle, way inside where those organs are that I showed you. If you're struggling to lose weight, then you must see this. According to a 2023 study from research scientists at Harvard and Johns Hopkins, a slow metabolism and losing weight has nothing to do hey man, with your no commercials. age, genetic... Dude. The end times are here. It's like a fucking hour and a half long now. We're gonna listen to some more shorts. Do, 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 do. Was that it? Yes, it is. The British monarchy lost its long-reigning matriarch, Queen Elizabeth II, in 2022 at the age of 96. While Charles III became the new king at the moment of her death, royal watchers had to wait until May 2023 for his coronation. It was an opulent affair full of pomp and ceremony as the UK celebrated its new monarch and wished him a long reign. However, despite going through one of the most turbulent periods in living memory, the British royals should expect even more upheaval in 2024, at least according to Nostradamus. For Mario Redding's Nostradamus, after the lines predicting a calamitous war, the quatrain envisions, Soon afterwards a new king shall be anointed, who for a long time will appease the earth. Some have interpreted this as meaning that King Charles will choose to abdicate and make way for a monarch who might enjoy greater longevity. However, another quatrain foresees a king being forced from the throne. Though his son Prince William is next in line, the Irish examiner has pointed to the claim that one with no According mark to the king, other one, it's, it was, uh, he will be driven from the shall take the throne, and suggested it means Prince Harry will assume power. It's not just the British royal family that is believed to see a momentous change of guard in 2024. According to some sources, the Catholic Church is also going to see a new figurehead emerge. Pope Francis will turn 88 in December 2024, which makes the prediction appear especially prescient. Arguably, the Pope has served his time, and it would certainly make sense for him to retire while still able to fulfill his duties as pontiff. The lines highlighted by the Irish Examiner, however, foretell the Pope's death and his replacement by a young Roman, though arguably Roman in this case refers to the Church itself, with the youthful replacement predicted to unleash acute damage on the pontificate. But Catholics don't need to panic. The fact is that though Nostradamus is famous for hundreds of uncanny predictions, they aren't all interpreted the same way, nor assigned to the same time period by analysts. It is well known that Nostradamus concealed the nature of his prophecies. Yeah. The quatrain highlighted by the Irish Examiner, for example, turns up in Mario Redding's Nostradamus too. only this time it's said to relate to 2056. Even in prophecy, it appears nothing is set in stone.
What does it actually say? It was in uh, French, so I could actually go in and translate it. What the fuck? That's a good idea, Trista. <laughs> but that would be a popular fucking video, too. Go into the old French and the translation. Nostradamus in translation, because uh, so much is lost during translation. That's a good idea, Trista. I'm going to make a note to myself. Right. Fucking, uh, that would be um, pretty popular, I'm sure. Especially uh, around the new year. Maybe I could do that as a little assignment. The sun is coming in January. God told me this about January 2024. Simpsons predictions for 2024 is insane. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> and then I switched to Liberty Mutual and saved hundreds. I know. Exactly. Hmm. It's a cute commercial. If you don't need a sedan, you definitely. Everybody knows The Simpsons. It's literally one of the longest running series in the United States. But beyond the satire, the chaos, and the dysfunctional family with their crazy adventures, there is a dark secret. For many years, The Simpsons seem to have dropped predictions and prophecies that have proven to be very accurate. From the predictions of the 2020 COVID-19 outbreak to the rise of Kamala Harris as the first black female vice president, The Simpsons have operated on an unprecedented level of accuracy. So what do they have to say about the year 2024? Get ready to be amazed as we examine 17 shocking predictions that The Simpsons have predicted for 2024. Number 17. Trump's 2024 presidential ambition. Are the writers and producers of The Simpsons experimenting with dark magic? Do they have a crystal ball through which they can accurately see into the future? Because they always seem to get their predictions right. And this is very, very strange, to say the least. Although, as you may already know, this cartoon series has made many astounding prophecies that came to pass, evoking awe and wonder in the hearts and minds of everyone. However, these guys decided to kick it up a notch, and their most dramatic one yet would be the prediction of Trump's 2024 presidential ambition. In order to make America great and glorious too. again, I am well, tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. On Tuesday, November 15, 2022, the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, arguably one of the most controversial the country has ever seen, depending on whose side you're on, decided it was time to reclaim the throne he lost 2021. But just as I promised, I am your voice. In his usual grandiose fashion, Trump took to the stage and proclaimed his ambition with these iconic words. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. That was when the screenwriter for the series, Al Jean, decided it was their time to shine again. Sharing a scene from a 2015 episode of the animated series, Mr. Jean showed the world that somehow they had predicted this way before Trump ever declared his intentions. In the 2015 episode, 
episode titled Bart to the Future, Homer Simpson can be seen as he seems to fly past a sign in the background, which read Trump 2024. Coincidence? This was even before Trump was ever president. So this revelation yeah. has been driving everyone crazy online. But as crazy as this prediction is, this next one takes it to another level. Number 16. AI robots take over. <laughs> Apart from the wild antics of the characters in this show, and the fact that The Simpsons is a really good series, which depends entirely on your preference, one major thing that has made it a fan favorite is the seemingly accurate predictions. This one is even stranger than the first. Although the show is reputed for predicting the advent of many innovative technological gadgets, you will agree that this one is too accurate to be more than just a coincidence. Let us take you on a journey back to episode 17 of the series 23rd season. In this episode, there's a scene where Homer One lost year. his job due to the fact that his employer replaced all the human employees with robots. Ladies and gentlemen, meet the future masters of the human race. Sounds familiar? <laughs> you fool, these are robots. Well, considering the astronomical strides that have been made in robotics and the development of artificial intelligence, could it be possible that in the near future, maybe even 2024, humans will begin to lose their jobs to artificially intelligent robots? You will train them, and they will replace you. As it stands now, you've probably heard of robots serving as waiters in Japan and all around the world. Is this the end of human labor as we know it? Or are we all just panicking too much about the threat of a robotic takeover? Hopefully, this never happens. But in case it does, the Simpsons will be glad to tell the world, we told you so. Number 15, Mars Takeover. This next one is actually very freakish and will have you wondering if the scripts for this series were written by aliens or something, because the resemblance to real-life events is absolutely uncanny. In case you don't believe it, let us take you to episode 6 of season 27 of the series. In this episode, Lisa learns that the government was looking for volunteers who were willing to sign up for a migration to Mars. You become the first residents of another world. Will you be one of them? Enthusiastically, she volunteered, and so Not did the that. rest of the family. The rest of the episode had them going on some wacky, crazy adventures. But at the end of the day, their vehicle refused to start, and they ended up going nowhere. But that's not the end. This eerie episode ends with a glimpse into the year 2051, where Marge and Lisa were now living on Mars. If this doesn't sound like anything mm -hmm. you've heard in recent times, then you may have been living under a rock. Everybody knows about Elon Musk's plans to colonize the Red Planet. Elon Musk? I'm in charge of the whole Mars colonization project. He has been going on and on about it for years, and even established his own private space exploration company for that sole purpose. Why do the dates scheduled for the Mars launch in this Simpsons episode have a striking resemblance to Elon Musk's plans? Is there something the writers and producers are hiding from us? For now, we will agree that it's all coincidence, but this sort of coincidence is sure to raise many, many questions in the minds of anyone who has seen this episode. Number 14. Virtual Reality Food. Yes, you heard that right. Strange as it seems, there is an episode of The Simpsons where the characters feast on a delicacy of digital food. How is this possible, you ask? See for yourself in this spectacular episode which features a scene where Homer and Marge can be seen feeding virtual fudge through a straw on the back of their virtual reality headsets. While this remains one of the wildest predictions made in this show, there might be a little element of reality to it. Before you discard this one as something... How did you get off Metformin? I used the 10-second peanut trick. Metformin. What's the 10-second peanut trick? It's a delicious...
something that can never ever happen. Allow us to introduce you to Aero Banquet's RMX, a culinary experience like you've never had before. Forget the fine dining of luxurious, exclusive, fancy restaurants and explore what it would feel like to dine in the digital world. Although virtual reality companies have made giant strides in several fields, including gaming, art, and even real estate, but this, this is something absolutely fascinating. According to the people behind this strange experiment, the aim of the project is to reframe the human perceptions and change the way we experience food. Could we be looking at such an experience becoming commonplace in 2024? Guess we'll have to wait and see. This virtual fudge tastes like crap. Number 13, Baby Translator. Would you like to know exactly... This is going to be a very popular podcast, I'm sure. We're listening to Simpsons Predictions for 2024 is insane on the Ultimate Discovery channel on... YouTube and uh, just went through a women first woman be looking at the possibility of having a woman in the yeah. Oval Office once yes, again we'll have to wait and see number 11 black wait, hole here's something me. that will definitely spook you out of your mind we travel back to the yeah, 24th season freaky. of this show and this time around we're looking at the second episode which aired on March 24 2013 titled treehouse of horror 23 this episode follows the adventure of this dysfunctional family as they try to escape the wrath of a mysterious black hole which threatens to swallow the entire Springfield into a world of darkness and nothingness after accidentally creating this terrifying cosmic demon Lisa takes it home to keep everyone safe from it. But as you already know, whenever the Simpsons are involved, chaos most definitely ensues. At the end of the day... Are you having trouble paying for healthcare, rent, gas, well, groceries, think, and other bills? That might be a demon. Then you've got to see this. Or, you know, the four demons... The day, that, the black hole event... The four demons that are going to be released when the Euphrates dries up. You know, this is just my... Uh, two cents but it's a demon that looks like a black hole sucked all of Springfield, Thanks leaving Maggie alone in the ruined town. Now, while this is most definitely a work of fiction, many are worried that we could be on the edge of a catastrophic natural event, the likes of which our world has never experienced before. Although, according to scientists, the closest black hole to our planet is located some 1,560 light years away, so there's really no chance this could happen. But it's the Simpsons, and some of their most unprecedented prophecies have come to pass. So, should we be scared? Is 2024, the year of the end of the world as we know it? Number 10. Hover cars it's of the, the future. Of You've probably seen this one in many sci-fi futuristic movies, but The Simpsons did it even better. In episode 15 of season 16 I of The Simpsons, fun. titled Future Drama, Bart and Lisa see the future of the family, and what they saw was truly astonishing. In this supposed future, Home and Bart travel around in style as they cruise through the streets in their hover cars. With no tires, these bad boys can go anywhere, and the reference is a play on a technology that has been in research and development for many years. But mm. could 2024 be the year we finally get to see the hover car? Before you dismiss this idea as wishful thinking, consider this. A company named Samson Sky, which is based in Oregon, is expected to begin deliveries of its switchblade mm. flying car in 2024. The car has been in development for 14 Whoa. years, and finally they are not just ready to showcase it to the whole world, but also to begin delivery to their customers. Finally, you can beat the stubborn traffics and avoid road 
road rage by soaring high in the skies. But the big question is, would you also need a pilot license along with your driver's license to be able to operate this vehicle? We'll leave that for you to argue out. Number nine, hologram technology. These days, technology is moving at such a fast pace, most of us can't keep up. But the Simpsons, they're miles ahead of us. In one of these episodes, Bart takes a look into the future through one of Professor Frink's thingamajig, and what he saw might just be a prophecy of things to come. Hologram for Bart Simpson. In this supposed future, a deadbeat Bart receives a hologram message inviting his band to a gig at the club. Hey, Dingus, your band can play at my club tonight. But how did the Simpsons develop the idea of the widespread use of the hologram technology? And could 2024 be the year when holograms become as commonplace as the cell phone? Maybe that's a huge leap, but you get the idea. As it stands now, the world has already been blessed with a fancy like technology known as the Dreamic HD3 holograms. This fascinating three-sided holographic display case can show a 3D image of anyone and anything from anywhere in the world. Imagine sitting in your room and watching your boyfriend teach you the latest TikTok dance from way over there on the other side of the world. How cool would that be? While this amazing technology is only available in about 500 Best Buy stores nationwide, could we be looking at a more widespread use and maybe even a decompression of the platform within the year 2024? Sounds pretty ambitious, but if it ends up coming to pass, will always remember the Simpsons did it first. Number eight, Ivanka Trump's presidency. <laughs> Are the writers of The Simpsons obsessed with Donald Trump and his family? Before you answer this, consider the fact that in an episode of the series, which aired in October 2016, the writers dropped a subtle hint suggesting that Ivanka Trump, the daughter of the former U.S. president, Donald Trump, would run for president. In this episode, Homer Simpson can be seen wearing a badge that said Ivanka 2028. Could this be another accurate prediction made by this series? Although Ivanka Trump has solidified her status as an imposing figure in the political landscape of the United States is the possibility of a presidency feasible. But that wasn't the first time Ivanka made an appearance on the show, at least her character did. She was also featured in a 2017 episode where she replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court while modeling a robe and earrings from her collection. Would an Ivanka Trump run for presidency come as a shock to you? We'll also leave that for you guys to argue out. Number seven, AI goes rogue. With the recent massive development in the world of artificial intelligence, are we really sure that we are not empowering technology to take us out? Could we find ourselves at the mercy of our own creations in the near future? Before you dismiss this as an irrational fear propagated by conspiracy theorists, you should listen to this former Google chief engineer who lost his job after revealing to the world that the company's latest artificial intelligence had become sentient. There are similarities between how Lambda thinks and how people think. Or how humans mm -hmm. think. This meant that it had evolved. The company's latest artificial intelligence had become sentient. There are similarities between how Lambda thinks and how people think. Or how humans think. This meant that it had evolved on its own and was able to feel things. Now that's super freakish. In the past, this would have been dismissed as pure lies, but coming from a man like Blake Lemoyne, who was a high-ranking engineer at Google before his appointment was terminated, everyone sat up and listened. But we were forewarned by the Simpsons. In the 1994 episodes titled Itchy and Scratchy Land, the family visited a spooky version of Disneyland, which was fully staffed by robots. As the scenes unfolded, the robots went haywire and began to murder every while the possibility of this could be well far off from 2024, it raises a huge concern about how far we are willing to go with artificial intelligence. If this human creation evolves to a point where humanity becomes a bother, where do we run to? Number six, 
music-induced mind control. Oh the government is trying to control you through a series of subconscious processes. This was the message many people got from the 14th episode of The Simpsons' 12th season. But can we really blame anyone for overthinking The Simpsons' predictions? After all, they've been right so many times. In this particular episode, a That's music a producer is. selects Bart, Nelson, Milhouse, and Ralph to form the next hit boy band party posse. Sick name, right? But beneath mm -hmm. the surface, there was a diabolical plan at play. In their hit song, dropped a bomb, which was accompanied by a music video that featured the strange line even eat Neo J in the chorus. Chorus. Party Posse subconsciously controlled the minds of the listeners, passing a subliminal message. When you spell this strange line backwards, it reads, Join, Join the, the Navy. Navy. As the music spread far and wide, it began to take effect on the entire population of Springfield. During a confrontation with the music director, Lisa discovered that he was indeed a Navy lieutenant, and according to him, music had long been used to recruit young men into the military. This was especially true during the Second World War, that is, in the real world. During the war, the United States sought to weaponize entertainment as a form of propaganda, citing cinema as one of the most powerful propaganda weapons at the disposal of the United States. That indeed is a direct quote from the Office of Strategic Services, now known as the CIA. Many people have also been raising questions about the nature of weapons at the disposal of the United States. That indeed is a direct quote from to weaponize entertainment as a form of propaganda, citing cinema as one of the most powerful propaganda weapons at the disposal of the United States. That indeed is a direct quote from the Office of Strategic Services, now known as the CIA. Many people have also been the raising OHS. questions about the nature of music in this age, with catchy repetitive lyrics and hypnotic tunes. Have we been silently controlled by the government for many years, unknown to us? Will we see this play out even more in 2024? This topic has been a goldmine for conspiracy theorists who exploit the opportunity of such a discourse to showcase their many theories on the subject of entertainment and the government. Now it's time for today's subscriber pick. Through the years, many have been astonished as the predictions and prophecies made by the Simpsons come to pass one by one. From the death of Kobe Bryant to an accurate prediction of a Super Bowl scoreline, the series has proven itself to be an accurate predictor of future events. Most people were especially blown away when their predictions of Trump running for the presidency in 2024 came to pass. While these happenings may all be phenomenal, we must understand crying. that all these are simple coincidences. Or at least, that's what the producers would like us to believe. But there are conspiracy theories, wild, wild ones that speculate that something else must be brewing behind the scenes. Do you think there is more to these accurate depictions? Or are they just simple coincidences like everyone wants to believe? Share your thoughts on this with us in the comments section. Now, back to the video. Number five, Willie Nelson goes for a swim. Not every single prediction from The Simpsons speaks of doom and the end of the world. Some are pretty much satirical, like this one, which aired in October 1991, where the iconic country singer-songwriter swam through the English Channel to the massive adoration of his fans. Willie Nelson is one of the most recurrent characters in the series, <laughs> where he usually plays himself. But not everything about this series is made with utmost accuracy concerning dates, history, 
facts and the perception of the future. Why the writers decided to include this skit of Willie Nelson swimming across the English Channel is unclear to us. But this is where we need to consider the fact that beyond the correct predictions and the accurate prophecies, The Simpsons is simply an animated movie, and the aim is not to tell you what the future holds. Some of these writers were just having fun as they wrote. So will Willie Nelson swim across the English Channel in real life in 2024? Well, probably not. Why, you ask? He's 90 years old as it is now, so we're pretty sure such a daunting task is not high on his bucket list. If he ever decides to attempt such a feat, though, it would be a very interesting sight to witness. Number four, economic collapse. Okay, we're back to our predictions of doom and gloom. So, is the United States headed for a serious economic collapse that could send us right back to times like the Depression? Economic analysts seem to think so. Trump. By studying the trajectory of the economic nosedive the country has taken, expert economists predict the United States could experience some really terrible times we in the coming did. year. But let's face it, this is not a unique problem. Every single country in the world no. is going through hard times what right now. With the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Ukraine-Russia war and several other conflicts around the world it's a miracle our civilization has not collapsed so what exactly does this have to do with the simpsons you ask well they warned us about it back in the year 2000 in an episode titled bart to the future now you will agree that this is one of the most famous episodes in the series and a vocal point for many people who seek to extract prophecies from the series just like us but the accuracy is so unsettling Get this, according to the episode, the economic collapse occurs during Donald Trump's presidency. Yeah. Before you argue that Trump is not the current president, consider the <laughs> fact that this former president is also contesting for presidency in 2020. So you can connect the dots from there. Spoken like a true conspiracy theorist, right? Well, chances are, if you're watching this video, you're also quite the conspiracy theorist yourself, aren't you? Number three, huh. World War Three. On November 22, 1987, a special episode of The Simpsons aired on The Tracy Ullman Show. And although it was very, very hilarious, there might be a hidden message in there somewhere. Before you accuse us of grasping for straws, consider the fact that many of the accurate predictions made in this show were sometimes simple side notes that nobody really paid attention to. Anyway, the episode centers around Homer Simpson repeatedly pranking his family with World War III scares. Many times during the episode, he would wake them up, asking them to rush into the fallout shelter as if it was the end of the world it's world war three <laughs> would a makeshift shelter in the house of an ordinary american man shield him and his family in the case of a nuclear fallout we'll leave that for the MythBusters to figure out while this episode was considered satire on the eventual occasion that a serious conflict between the world powers begins to play out many american bible prophecies 2024 and homer simpson bart simpson Predictions, exclamation point. Hi there, we're listening to Simpsons predictions for 2024 is insane. So could find themselves reenacting the scenes in this episode. As it stands, we are way closer to this third world war than we were when the episode aired. First, we had a world war scare in 2020, before the virus came. Secondly, if you study world politics very carefully, and the many, many conflicts that have erupted in many places around the world, you will see that our world is not at peace. Although we are not at war, we are far from experiencing a peaceful Proxy existence. Wars. Could 2024 Ukraine. be the year when everything reaches its peak, Israel. and all the nations bring out their big guns to wipe everybody out? We certainly hope.
Are you missing five or more teeth? Did you know that it just takes 60 seconds, one yeah, minute, yeah, yeah, to find ahead. this? We hope not, and we advocate for peace in every country where war is currently ongoing. Number two, Barbie movie release and Trump's arrest. Although this one is not really a prediction for 2024, it yeah, still deserves a mention because of how astonishingly accurate it is. You could call it an honorable mention. Remember when Trump got arrested on the same day the new Barbie movie came out? Well, The Simpsons predicted that many, many years ago. An episode in season five of The Simpsons features a scene where a news anchor delivers the news of the uncanny coincidence between the release of a new Barbie doll and a president's arrest. In this episode titled Lisa versus Malibu Stacy, news broke of the release of the rip-off version of the Barbie doll. After giving an extensive 28-minute report of the Barbie doll release, the news anchor casually mentions that the U.S. president had been arrested just before closing the show. Though it was unusual to spend 28 minutes reporting on a doll, <laughs> it's just really fascinating news, folks. Good night. Oh, and the president was arrested for murder. More on that tomorrow night. This is reminiscent of the circumstances surrounding the arrest of former President Donald Trump on April 4, 2023, an event that went underreported, as many news outlets preferred to focus on the new Barbie movie. How could this real-life event be so related to a simple fictional comic series? We really cannot tell. This occurrence is a testament to the strategy employed by the media, where much attention is given to an insignificant event when something absolutely major is going on. Have you ever seen your favorite new channel air an extensive report? on something absolutely irrelevant while the world burns that's exactly what we're talking about it's everywhere Yvonne, and we just can't Yvonne escape it number one zombie apocalypse this one may seem to be more of a stretch but it's one of the simpsons predictions that still hasn't come to pass so we can't sure rule anything out in this chilling episode that's a zombie a apocalypse takes over the that's fictional city of springfield home to the Simpsons. While the possibility of a real zombie apocalypse is really slim, we can't dispute this as just mere fiction, considering the fact that about 30 of the seemingly simple scenes from this series have come to pass in real life. We will be doing ourselves a disservice by discounting these scenes as mere works of fiction. But at the end of the day, The Simpsons is just a comic series, and many of these prophecies are just coincidental, right? We'll have to wait and see how everything plays out in the year 2024. Ah. Thank you for watching this video. See you in the next one. Pretty good. Um, let's do the comments. They're not telling you their predictions. They're telling you their plans. The Simpsons is proof that everything is rigged. They don't predict the future. They create it. Methods, junkies. And uh, what else already happened? Um,
Shade. Yeah. Okay. What other predictions can we check out? Predictions uh, for 2024. That's what we're doing right now. About shorts, we'll do a, a rising majestically oh, sure. from Sri Lanka's verdant landscape. This ancient rock fortress was built approximately 1,500 to 2,000 years ago. While its existence has been known to locals built. for countless generations, it was the British explorer, John Still, who brought its wonders to the world's attention in the early 20th century. Siguria ascends to a height of 660 feet. At the top of the rock, there are ruins of a palace, various ponds, and numerous other fascinating structures. Wow. These ancient remnants indicate that the site was not just an impenetrable fortress, but also a luxurious abode. But perhaps wow. its most iconic feature is the gargantuan lion paws, sitting there guarding the staircase leading up to the palace. Around 2,000 years ago, King Cassiapa, fearing treachery, decided to act on his paranoia and construct a palace on this colossal rock, transforming it into an impenetrable fortress. But the site itself is thought to have been home to humans for over 10,000 years. Rising oh. majestically from Sri Lanka's verdant landscape, this ancient rock fortress was... Cool. This is the most terrifying musical instrument in history. <laughs> when you hear the sound, you'll know why. The trumpet-like instrument was used by the Celts in 300 BC hmm. and is suspended vertically with a bell in the shape of a boar's head made of bronze. Its sound was one of the great mysteries of antiquity. The only description that existed was that of the historian Diodorus Siculus who wrote around the second century BC. Their trumpets were of a peculiarly barbaric kind. When they blow into it, it makes a harsh sound reminiscent of the turmoil of war. However, Thanks to the work of archaeologists, it was possible in the year 1933 to reconstruct the Carnix and revive the roar which incited the Celts to battle and intimidated the enemy. Here is how it sounds. Hmm. This is the most terrifying oh. musical instrument in history. When you hear the sound, you'll know why. The trumpet-like instrument was used by the Celts in the 300 BC <laughs> and is suspended vertically with a bell in the shape of a boar's head made of bronze. Its sound was one of the great mysteries of antiquity. Okay. The only I have come home. You want to hear a wild one? All right, I went, I went on a little YouTube wormhole situation, and somehow, that's <laughs> what I wound up on this video that was like, world's smartest kid thinks that CERN blew the world up in 2008. He thinks when they collided electrons, Bro. I believe, at, in the super collider, CERN, that they caused some crazy chain reaction that blew up the universe, but they also created an atom that weighed too much. And so what the kid winds up with is this theory of like, 
one atom weighing too much and weigh, and is that being just enough to shift our universe into a, a parallel universe? <laughs> yeah, this is it right here. Well, this kid. Look at what it says there. He claims it's CERN destroyed the universe during recent experiments which has resulted in us living in a nearby parallel universe instead you're welcome eddie a lot of people online <laughs> think this is an explanation for all the mandela effect things yeah yeah, yeah they, they, he goes online. into stuff about the mandela effect how like you know there's like so apparently a bunch of want to hear a wild one the attacks lasted more than seven hours. It began Sunday at 9.15 a.m. This is ABC Abo News. Uh, attacks a U.S. warship responds to a series of major escalation in Mideast tensions. Hmm. Stick missile fired from Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen landing in the waters near the cargo ship Unity Explorer. At 12 p.m., the USS Kearney on patrol in the Red Sea when a drone launched from Yemen heads toward the Kearney. The Navy crew shoots it down. At 12.35, the Unity Explorer under fire again. This time, the missile strikes the ship while another drone is shot down as it heads towards the Kearney. At 3.30 p.m., the cargo ship number nine struck by a ballistic missile one hour later, ballistic missile number four hits the cargo vessel Sophie. Again, the Kearney racing to this cargo vessel to render aid as yet another drone is launched in the Kearney's direction and shot down. The attacks lasted more than seven hours. Commercial it began Sunday at 9.15 a.m. A ballistic missile fired from a... The most mysterious place in the Nevada desert is the bottomless pit known as Devil's Hole. Over a hundred years ago, scientists attempted to measure its depth using a rope, but it kept breaking, as valley. if someone unseen was biting through it. They could only determine that there's a lake at the bottom. In 1999, a decision was made to look down using a camera. As it descended, it revealed that at 262 feet, the walls expanded, and after 30 feet, they disappeared entirely. At a depth of 720 feet, the lights went out, and after another 33 feet, the camera started spinning and swaying as if caught in a whirlpool. When they began to lift it back up, the water suddenly illuminated with a blue glow. Despite all efforts, the depth of the underground lake remains unknown. Additionally, scientists can't comprehend the origin of eerie sounds periodically emitted by the rocks surrounding Devil's Hole. See more. Who took Pharaoh's face off? Most mysterious place huh. in the Nevada desert is the bottomless pit known this as Devil's Hole. Over a hundred years ago, scientists attempted to measure its depth using a rope, but it kept breaking, as if someone unseen was by. Let's go to their content. In Russia's Far East, archaeologists have discovered an unusual skeleton dating back to around the 7th century, which they have named Mikhail. The first oddity was that it was the only skeleton belonging to a 30-year-old man in a cemetery for the elderly. But what made it even more unique was the strange pose in which it was found. Such a burial ritual was previously unknown to scientists. Michael was lying on his back, his wrists crossed on his pelvis, his ankles also crossed, and his knees spread far apart. This gave the first impression of a skeleton dancing. But the reality turned out to be not so fun. Investigations revealed that Michael was laid in the grave with his hands and feet bound. Also. 
Experts believe that the man suffered from a disease that deformed his legs. However, they have not been able to fully solve the mystery of the dancing skeleton. Russia's Far East, archaeologists have discovered an unusual in Russia in the southern Primory, during bulldozing work on one of the hills under a layer of soil were found debris of a building consisting of structural parts of different sizes and at the same time the ideal geometric Well that's weird. Something just came through that I posted like a couple days ago. Huh. And 13 photos? Come on, 13 photos. That's a weird. Yeah, they're going through uh, everything on my stuff. Probably the only one listening to this. Shape, truncated cones, plates, and hollow inside cylinders. These parts are made of grains of crystalline moissanite cemented with a fine-grained mass of the same moissanite. It is not only the hardest mineral, but also extremely resistant to acid, alkali, and high temperatures. Because of these unique properties, it is used in aerospace, nuclear, electronics, and other high-tech industries. But most importantly, in modern conditions it is impossible to obtain crystalline moissanite in such a volume to create from it something larger than a miniature product. And the question of who was able to use it as a building material is still unanswered. In Russia in the southern Primory, during bulldozing work on one of the hills under a layer of soil were found debris of a building consisting of structural parts of different sizes and at the same time the ideal geometric shape, truncated cones, plates and hollow inside cylinders. These parts are made of grains of crystalline moissanite cemented with a fine-grained mass of the same moissanite. Yeah, it is not only the hardest In March 2016, 40 miles off the coast of the Philippines, fishermen spotted a yacht with a broken mast. When they climbed up on deck and looked into the deckhouse, they saw the mummified body of a man half reclining at a table. Nearby was a radio telephone on which he was apparently trying to call for help. The man was identified as Manfred Fritz Bayorit, a 59-year-old German resident who has sailed the seas and oceans for 20 years on his yacht, Seo. The experienced sailor, according to medical experts, died almost a year before his discovery from a heart attack. During that time, his body had shriveled up due to the salty ocean air and hot, dry winds. As for the mast, it broke during a storm, but it happened after the navigator's death. According to his friends, he would never have risked sailing the high seas in bad weather. March 2016, 40 miles off the coast of the Philippines, fishermen spotted a yacht with a broken mast. When they climbed up on deck and looked into the deckhouse, they saw the mummified body of a man half reclining at a table. Nearby was a radio telephone on which he was apparently trying to call for help. The man was identified as Manfred Fritz Bayorit, a 59-year-old German resident who has sailed the seas and oceans for 20 that years on his yacht, Seo. The experienced... Let's go in the comments see what they're saying. He actually died only weeks before it was just perfect conditions for mummification. At least he didn't just disappear, sink, and his relatives, if he had any kid, bring closure. He loved sailing all right, sailed for a year after dad. <laughs> sailing, no, never a good idea. Already was at risk taking a trip with some knowledge of his health condition. It may be rare, but with his age, heart attack did not come out of the blue from a healthy individual. Heart attack occurred when mass broke and contemplating sinking. Did he hate the world? <laughs> Mummified. Tragic story of an ancient city. That's what it says.
obviously don't want you to hear this because it's uh, like freezing on me. While conducting research on the territory of the Balamca Ecological Reserve in the Mexican state of Campeche, researchers discovered a Mayan city previously unknown to science, Ooh. calling it Oconton, which means stone column in translation from the language of the indigenous inhabitants of Yucatan. The fact that in the city were found numerous columns, probably decorated the entrances to the upper tiers of various buildings, including several pyramids more than 15 meters or 50 feet high. In total, all of these structures cover an area of about 50 hectares or 37 acres. Between the two main plazas is a complex of low and elongated structures, as well as an area for a traditional ritual ball game. Finds by archaeologists suggest that the collapse of the plains Maya civilization came around the 10th century. It was then that the inhabitants of Ocompton left in a hurry, taking only the most revered shrines. While conducting research on the territory of the Balamca Ecological Reserve in the Mexican state of Campeche, researchers discovered a Mayan city previously unknown to science, calling fifty hectares equals thirty-seven acres. Good did though. Where we see a hill in Yucatan, that's a pyramid waiting to be restored. Get hectares reversed with acres and always reviewed before posting. Why is it that these civilizations left in such hurry, everyone? Could it be that all these evictions happened at the same time because of contingent diseases? What year was this found? Mayan city. Terrible fate of a legendary city. In the oh. early 2000s, researchers in Antarctica was found convincing evidence of the existence of an ancient civilization. It is about the discovery of Russian researchers, who from a depth of 480 meters or one and a half thousand feet lifted a sample of ice with mysterious inclusions. They were visible to the naked eye, but a thorough analysis required laboratory study. The results astounded everyone they were fine threads of pure 100% aluminum and gold, 0.1 millimeters or 0.003 inches thick, that looked like a tuft of hair. Mm -hmm. Given that pure aluminum is not found in nature at all, and gold, too, since it has at least silver impurities, scientists concluded that the natural origin of these artifacts is unlikely. But at the same time, they could not answer the main question who created these metal hairs, and by what method. Hmm. The early 2000s, researchers in Antarctica was found convincing evidence of the existence of an ancient civilization. It is about the discovery while diving off the coast of Taiwan, divers recently discovered a herring king. The 4 meter or 13 foot long creature did not move, frozen hmm. upright. Its fixed eyes seemed huge, and black holes of unknown origin gaped Harry in its side. King. Especially these images excited the locals, as the situation in this region is aggravated by a possible military conflict between the U.S. and China, in which the role of irritant will play exactly Taiwan. What? The fact is that in different nations the appearance of the Herring King is considered a very bad sign, portending all Shit. sorts of global disasters. Oh, For example, in 2011, 
Before the accident at the Fukushima nuclear power plant caused by the earthquake, several herring kings were found washed ashore in Japan. While diving off the coast of Taiwan, divers recently discovered a herring king. The 4-meter or 13-foot-long creature did not move, frozen upright. Its fixed eyes seemed huge, and black holes of unknown origin gaped in its side. Especially these images excited the locals, as the situation in this region is aggravated by a possible military conflict between the U.S. and China, in which the role of Italian Alessandro Cagliostro, who achieved world fame and great glory as a magician occultist, spellcaster, alchemist and adventurer, from a young age was fond of chemical experiments, studied the secret sciences in the temples of the East, and then used this knowledge for mercenary purposes. For this in 1791 he was sentenced to life imprisonment in the prison of the fortress of St. Leo, where he died four years later. After becoming emperor, Napoleon sent soldiers there, who opened the grave and brought Cagliostro's skull to France. Experienced jewelers ennobled it, decorating it with precious stones and ornaments of silver and gold, and presented it to Bonaparte. Sources from Aryan antiquity said that a man's strength and knowledge would pass to the one who drank from such a cup. It is likely that Napoleon wanted to possess Cagliostro's secret knowledge. Italian Alessandro Cagliostro, who achieved world fame and great glory as a magician occultist, spellcaster, alchemist and adventurer, from a young age was fond of chemical experiments, studied the secret sciences in the temples of the East, and then used this knowledge for mercenary purposes. A pile of strange bones discovered on Australia's Keppel Sands Beach by local resident Bobby Lee Oates has caused a stir around the world. It is about the remains of an unknown animal with a rib cage and spine about 180 centimeters or 6 feet long. When a woman looked at its skull, she thought it looked human-like, immediately assuming it was a mermaid skeleton because it had an oblong bone instead of legs. Bobby Lee photographed the find and posted the pictures on social media, asking users to determine who the skeleton belonged to. Some agreed with her version of a mermaid. Others wrote that it is a dugong an aquatic mammal from the siren or sea cow. And one of the experts even considered that we are talking about the partially preserved remains of a kangaroo, where the alleged tail, in fact, is decomposed leg. Pile of strange bones discovered on Australia's Keppel Sands Beach by local resident You won't believe it, but this stone is valued at almost one and a half million dollars. And we are not talking about diamonds, emeralds or gold bullion but about an ordinary-looking cobblestone, which, however, grows gray hairs. The Chinese farmer Bo Chun Luo, who found it in his field, thought it was so unusual that he took it home and put it on a shelf as a decoration. A few days later, however, the farmer noticed that the hair on the stone had grown longer. Frightened, he turned to scientists, who found out that it was not a stone, but an ancient insect. Millions of years ago, such creatures lived at the bottom of the oceans and fed on plankton. And before the story of the discovery of the hairy stone, in the hands of researchers got only fossilized remains of such creatures. Mm. You won't believe it, but this stone is valued at almost one and a half million dollars. Wow. And we are not talking about diamonds, emeralds or gold bullion, but about an ordinary looking cobblestone. Which, however, grows gray hairs. The Chinese farmer Bo Chun Luo, who found it in his field, 
thought it, this stone circle, 27 centimeters or 10 inches in diameter and weighing about 2 kilograms or 4 pounds, found during the excavation of an ancient hospital in Colombia, is one of the most mysterious artifacts in the world. It is called a genetic disc because both sides of it are covered with images of intrauterine fetal development at all stages. Now this process is observed by doctors with the help of special devices. But how did the details of it become known 6,000 years ago? In addition, the disc and all medical instruments are made of lidite, a rock composed of several minerals. It is almost impossible to carve anything on it, even using modern tools, because of the layered structure, which begins to crumble under the influence of a cutter. Meanwhile, the patterns on the disc do not even resemble carving, but stamping. This stone circle, 27 centimeters or 10 inches in diameter and weighing about 2 kilograms or 4 pounds, found during the excavation of an ancient hospital in Colombia, is one of the most mysterious artifacts in the world. Hospital. It's unbelievable, mm. but Harvard physicist Avi Loeb and his team of researchers on the ship Silver Star using special magnetic sleds recently lifted to the surface the remains of a strange meteorite that fell into the Pacific Ocean in 2014. Its extremely high speed of entry into the Earth's atmosphere indicated that it came from somewhere far away, perhaps from outside the solar system. When the experts dismantled the mined material, they found about 700 tiny metal balls with anomalous indicators. The content what? of uranium, beryllium and lanthanum in them was hundreds of times higher than in terrestrial rocks. This is especially important with respect to beryllium, which is formed as a result of a violent reaction called fission, involving high-energy cosmic rays. It's unbelievable. But Harvard physicist Avi Loeb and his team of researchers on the ship Silver Star using special magnetic sleds recently lifted to the surface the remains of a strange meteorite that fell into the Pacific Ocean in 2014. Its extremely high speed of entry into the Earth's atmosphere indicated that it came from somewhere far away, perhaps from outside the solar system. When the experts dismantled the mined material, they found about 700 tiny metal balls with anomalous indicators. The content of uranium it sounds indicators. like science fiction, but the wreck of the famous Endurance, one of two ships that took part in polar explorer Ernest Shackleton's Imperial Transantarctic Expedition in 1914, has been found at a depth of more than 3 kilometers, or nearly 2 miles, off the coast of Antarctica in the Weddell Sea. Judging by the footage from the wreck site, even after more than a hundred years, the ship is not badly preserved. And it's all thanks to the Antarctic Circumpolar Current, which acted as a barrier to maggots that could spoil the wood. But the main goal of the researchers was Shackleton's safe, which contained artifacts he had found during a previous Arctic expedition in one of the pyramids of an ancient city discovered in a mountain valley. Sounds like science fiction, but the wreck of the famous Endurance, one of two ships that took part in polar explorer Ernest Shackleton's Imperial Transantarctic Expedition in 1914, has been found at a depth of more than three kilometers, or nearly Whoa. two miles, off the coast of Antarctica in the Weddell Sea. Hmm. Judging by the footage from the wreck site, even after more than a hundred years, the ship is not badly preserved. And it's all thanks to the Antarctic Circumpolar Current, which acted as a barrier to maggots that could spoil the wood. But nice. the main goal of the researchers was Shackleton's safe, which contained artifacts he had found during a previous Arctic expedition Ooh. in one of the pyramids of an ancient city discovered in a mountain valley. Sounds like science fiction, Whoa. but the wreck of the famous Endurance, one of more. two...
Tell me more, tell me more. Not badly preserved is like a double negative. How about well preserved? Pyramids run pyramids right across the world that all link up. Believe me, secrets will be secret because they don't want you to know. So you're saying there are ruins down that they say aren't there? I guess there are not too many housewives living three kilometers under the sea in Antarctica. What? I thought they'd have a big bottle of rum in a safe. Like Spock would say, fascinating. <laughs> of course. We'll never see the good stuff. What's in the safe and you need to finish your story? Wow. So there's really a pyramid in the Arctic. Artifacts and pyramids? Oh yeah. <laughs> Pull her up, please. Wrong name of the sunken ship shown. Indiana Jones. They knew them that there was pyramids down there. AI fairy tale with 5% historic background endurance and shocks 10 and 95% BS Arctic pyramid super secret safe. Huh. Uh, AI fairy tale. Like an AI. Nuclear trace of an ancient catastrophe. This stone circle, 27 centimeters or 10 inches, it's yeah, unbelievable. But Harvard, it sounds like some, you won't believe it, but the longest ancient axes in world history were found during an archaeological dig in the English county of Kent in deep sediments about 300,000 years old. That is the time of the Ice Age. According to experts, such axes with serrations on both sides to give a symmetrical shape were the main universal tool of primitive people. But they were mainly used for cutting animals and meat into pieces. The real sensation was the bones of ancient reptiles Waldosaurus and Polycanthus, which lived on Earth tens of millions of years ago in the tropical forests of the early Cretaceous period, which showed traces of blows, presumably made by one of these axes. But how does this fit with the Ice Age theory? And who hunted dinosaurs with stone axes? For now, these questions remain unanswered. Mm -hmm. Won't believe it. it's incredible, but some archaeological findings can completely upend the accepted version of world history. For example, the 2,000-year-old Panjavarnaswami Temple in India has a bas-relief on one of its columns depicting a man sitting on a bicycle. Mm -hmm. But how can this be, since the first bicycle was invented in Europe in the early 19th century? Although, if the wheel was invented about six and a half thousand years ago, and not so long ago was discovered chariot age of 3,800 years, why did people then need so much time to invent such a simple design as a bicycle? Scientists have not yet been able to find an answer to this question. It's incredible, <laughs> but some archaeological findings can completely upend the accepted version of world history. For example, the 2,000-year-old Panjavarnaswami temple in India has a bas-relief on one of its columns depicting a man sitting on a bicycle. But how can this be, since the first bicycle was invented in Europe in the early 19th century? It's impossible to believe, but after archaeologists dug up the underground too. tomb of a 40-year-old man's bound mummy in the Andes, nearby they discovered the mummified remains of six children and seven grown person, also wrapped in fabrics and bound with ropes. That's why at first the scientists had an assumption that these were children, wives or servants of the man, 
sacrificed to escort him to the afterlife. However, the DNA test of the tissue samples taken from them completely refuted this version. The fact is that the identified genome is significantly different from the human genome, but completely identical to what was in the biomaterial found by Pentagon experts in the study of the wreckage of one of the alien ships. Mm. It's impossible to believe, but after archaeologists dug up the underground tomb of a 40-year-old man's bound mummy in the Andes, nearby they discovered the mummified remains man? of six children and seven grown person, also wrapped in fabrics and bound with ropes. That's why at first the scientists had an assumption that these were children, wives, or servants of the man. Yeah, let's see what it says in the comments. I don't know. Trust me, bro. What's so terrifying about aliens? Are we that selfish that we can't share the universe with other species not of this earth? I'm ashamed of humanity. Straight up BS. <laughs> I can smell it from here. Where is the backup material? Where did any scientific papers get published? Who are the scientists that made this discovery? Is this all fucking fake? Who, who did the DNA testing? Without this, this is probably fake. Blah, blah, blah. Hoaxes. Show us facts, sources, accurate and proper information. Tell me more. What? No way, Jose. I wonder if they mean the four-year-old vows that they shut down not that long ago, or if they mean your phones like from the 60s and 70s. Where's this DNA information from the wrecked UFO? Who the heck got that information from them? <laughs> who had it to compare with this newest moment? The Pentagon have done DNA tests, what, on a weather balloon? Mm. Alien ships, WTF. Come on, take this disinformation off. Trying to get a little tired of this creator. Seems like they're using AI fantasy or something. Maybe, I don't know. Good test. Uh, test your test your critical thinking skills. Oh, ah, hmm. Did the fourth pyramid on? Was but 185,000 soldiers could not defeat this one angel. King Hezekiah was in the lineage of David and was one of the very few kings who did things God's way and abolished high places of idol worship. In his 14th year of reign, the king of Assyria captured oh, the fortified God. cities of Judah, all except Jerusalem. Hezekiah did not want his people to suffer the same fate as Israel, so he paid a ransom to the king of Assyria to keep his people from being wiped out. He even used the gold from the temple. It did not satisfy the king of Assyria, who then threatened to come take Jerusalem with brute force, taunting Hezekiah, saying that his God could not deliver him. So Hezekiah cried out to God, It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. Now, Lord God, deliver us from his hand. The Lord responded, saying, I have heard your prayer. I will defend the city and save it. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. 185,000 soldiers could not defeat this one angel. King Hezekiah was in the lineage of David and was one of the very few kings who did things God's way and abolished high places of idol worship. In his 14th year of reign, the king of Assyria captured the fortified cities of Judah, all except Jerusalem. Hezekiah did not want his people to suffer the same fate as Israel, so he paid a ransom to the king of Assyria to keep his people from being wiped out. He even used the gold from the temple. It did not satisfy 
satisfy the king of Assyria, who then threatened to come take Jerusalem with brute force, taunting Hezekiah, saying that his God could not deliver him. So Hezekiah cried out to God, It is true, Lord that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. Now, Lord God, deliver us from his hand. The Lord responded, saying, I have heard your prayer. I will defend the city deliver and us save from it. Israel. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put... Deliver us from Israel. Did you know that this is proof that prayer actually affects the spirit realm? Watch this. There was this one lady who owned this medical clinic. She said she was having the strangest manifestations. She said people were literally quitting the job because they could hear babies crying and yet there were no babies on the property. So she called one of her best friends to come and pray over the property and see what they felt. Amazingly, her friend was shown by the Lord that that property used to be owned by Masons. And there used to be a doctor who worked for the Masons that whenever they actually impregnated someone young the doctor would take care of it if you know what i mean and so the reason why there was crying was because there had been innocent blood spilt and the moment they got revelation of this the lady and her friend ended up praying repented to the lord pled the blood of jesus over the clinic and all the crying and weird manifestations stopped if you know that the blood of jesus cleanses these revelations have eluded bible casual readers and scholars alike yet they whisper we're listening to Prophecies 2024. Secrets of a future yet to unfold. In fact, one or two of these secret prophecies are already happening. Imagine having exclusive access to insights that have been tucked away for ages. These are prophecies that will not only surprise you, but also make you see the Biblical Bible mysteries. in a whole new light. So if you're ready to unravel secrets, expand your understanding, and uncover a side of the Bible that's rarely explored, then stick around. These revelations have eluded Bible casual readers and scholars alike, yet they whisper secrets of a future yet to unfold. In fact, one or two of these secret prophecies are already happening. Imagine having exclusive access to insights right. that... Have you ever seen the Christian Candace Owens respond to Andrew Tate? Check it this. I was You're wondering if you were Christian, and, you know, I definitely do not know enough about the Islamic faith to sit here and debate you on it. I'm never a person that will debate somebody on something that I'm not an expertise on. But I will say that I'm sad that you're not a Christian anymore. And I, I can sense perhaps it's because you felt that Christians weren't doing a good job defending their beliefs. Yeah, I think that God should be feared. I fear God. One of the only things I fear. If I went to an Islamic country, I felt God. You don't feel any God. How is it a Christian country if Satanists are mocking Jesus on the streets? I understand what you're saying. If you're thinking that America is a Christian country, Christianity is getting it wrong. Yeah. And the truth is that America is no longer a Christian country. We're being run by people that are satanic. Hollywood is satanic and Hollywood is running America. So you're not wrong. But I think that right now America is facing a spiritual battle. And for the first time in a very long time, Christians are starting to stand up and speak about our principles. You ever seen yeah. the Christian Candace Fake Christians. Here's my simplest explanation of the book of Revelation, especially the first four horses of the apocalypse. The question is, why these four? Why these colors? 
I'm going to submit to you that there is information contained in the colors. God is not trying to confuse us. And he's not just throwing colors out there, is he? No. There must be a rational uh, justification for why he picked these four. Don't you think? Take a look at your screen and just follow with me. What do you see? Help me out. Let's make a chorus together. White, red, black, and green. All right, well, let's just go to Libya because it could just be coincidence here. Okay, let's go to Afghanistan. What do you see? Let's go to Syria. What do you see? Let's go to Iraq. Here's my simplest explanation of the book of Revelation, especially the first four horses of the apocalypse. The question is, why these four? Why these colors? I'm going to submit to you that there is information contained in the colors. God is not trying to confuse us. And he's not just throwing colors out there, is he? No. There must be a rational uh, justification for why he picked these four. Don't you think? Take a look at your screen and just follow with me. What do you see? Help me out. Let's make a chorus together. White, red, black, and green. All right, well, let's just go to Libya because it could just be coincidence here. Okay, let's go to Afghanistan. What do you see? Let's go to Syria. What do you see? Let's go to Iraq. Here's my simplest explanation of the book of Revelation, especially the first four horses of the apocalypse. The question is, why these four? Why these colors? I'm going to submit to you that there is information contained in the colors. God is not trying to confuse us. And he's not just throwing colors out there, is he? No. There must be a rational uh, justification for why he picked these four. Don't you think? Take a look at your screen and just follow with me. What do you see? Help me out. Let's make a chorus together. White, red, black, and green. All right, well, let's just go to Libya because it could just be coincidence here. Okay, let's go to Afghanistan. It's interesting. Those are coyotes. Coyote. My dog, Dr. Baker, used to bark at him. Bark him. That sounds like Hank. You know. You know? Like Hank used to bark at him too. Bark him away. Are you missing five or more teeth? This is Jimmy. Jimmy and his brother went fishing on a sunny day on the Florida coast. It was about 80 miles from the Florida coast. Everything was good. It was looking normal. It was a normal day. They were catching fish until 
They saw a very strange object falling from space, and this is what they saw. They did like any human Probably being would, and they decided to follow the object. So they went after it, and this is what they actually caught on camera. This mysterious green ooze-looking thing. And the more they stayed there, the more it became this greener-looking thing. Yeah, so, called, uh, they try to contact the Coast Guard, and this is where things become stranger. The communication systems were down. They weren't able to communicate with the Coast Guard or anyone else. So, they got the heck out of there as fast as possible, not knowing exactly what it is that they encountered. What do you think? This is Jimmy. I say in the comments, it's a die make marker pack. The Navy uses them all the time. It was a die pack for a recovery of satellite or some other device. Whoever owned it knew it was going to land in the water. That's why they had a tracer die pack on it so they could recover it. Green dies so search planes can spot it better. That's pretty standard. I would have tried to figure out what it was that splashed down. Okay. Hi there, welcome back. Thanks for 310k. Having a Caesar salad. Let's listen to All In with Chris Hayes for today. Get caught up on the news. When you download the Fries app, you have easy access to when savings every day. App. And get... Good evening from New York. I'm Chris Hayes. Colorado Republicans are publicly threatening to change how they vote for presidential nominees in light of yesterday's decision by the state Supreme Court in Colorado to bar Trump from the primary ballot under the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. State GOP now saying it may begin the legally fraught process of switching from a primary to a caucus in order to allow its members to still cast their votes for Trump next March. Now that mostly just seems like posturing, to be honest. For all of the controversy, when you go back to the relevant text used to raise the challenge, Section 3, the 14th Amendment, it really does stand out as pretty darn fitting. Oh, no person shall hold any office under the United States who, having previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States to support the Constitution, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof cannot hold government office if you are an insurrectionist or you supported insurrectionists. It's quite clear, uh -huh. quite simple, especially when you consider the amendment within the historical context of its ratification. This decision from the Colorado Supreme Court yesterday still came as a, a shock, surprise. And that's largely, I think, because right. of the ways in which American legal culture this has grown to emphasize, even fetishize some parts of the Constitution and its founding, largely ignoring others. Around the 1980s, the American right embraced the judicial philosophy of originalism, thanks in large part to late conservative Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Basically, it's the idea that we should interpret the Constitution only as its founders intended and as people understood it at the time. Mm -hmm. To be clear, this was always a reactionary project, often undertaken in transparently bad faith to reverse engineer the rights preferred By political way, outcomes and discard it when it didn't Alito. fit their agenda. Originalism remains a de facto legal theory of the American conservative movement and, honestly, the 6-3 Trump court. 
it remains enormously effective as a rhetorical tool because it taps into our shared civic religion of reverence for our founders. That in mind, then, I think it's worth looking at the history of the Reconstruction Amendments to ratify with the hope of refounding the country after the Civil War without the stain of slavery following the horrible carnage of that war. When it was over, 600,000 men had perished. But the Union held, and the Constitution, like the nation, was reborn. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments together, but above all the 14th Amendment, is the fruit of the Civil War. It is what all those brave men fought for and died for. It's from a PBS documentary about the war. These amendments, particularly the 14th Amendment, guaranteeing equal protection, completely and utterly transformed the structure of American government. Legal ramifications of the 14th Amendment gave rise to everything we think of as the modern state and pluralistic multiracial democracy. It is impossible to overstate just how important it is to our current understanding of what America is and of constitutional law. And yet, its founding, second founding of the country, the founding amendments after the war, the Reconstruction Amendments, is basically lost to history. These drafters are not household what names part of like insurrection the men who drafted don't you Bill Rice. There's a reason for that. Those men were political radicals. The people who drafted the Reconstruction Amendments were the vanguard of radicalism, in fact, who, after defeating the traitorous insurrectionist slave power of the South, forced them at gunpoint into a participatory multiracial democracy. Over the past 150 years, there has been an effort not to reckon with that uncompromising fact. Said, if you're going to take an originalist perspective here, that history is pretty important. The 14th Amendment was indeed a bold act of raw political power in furtherance of that project of multiracial democracy, and it should be interpreted as such. The person most responsible for covering that fundamental reality of our country's second founding and the constitutional provisions it created is Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson. Time and again, she has argued we cannot ignore the radical origins or radical meaning of the 14th Amendment, nor its original intention as a protector of marginalized people in the face of state oppression. This has been especially apparent when she talks about things like affirmative action and voting rights. I understood that we looked at the history and traditions of the Constitution, at what the framers and the founders thought about. And when I drilled down to that level of analysis, it became clear to me that the framers themselves adopted uh, the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, in a race-conscious way. The entire point of the amendment to secure rights of the freed former slaves the legislator who introduced that amendment said that, quote, unless the Constitution should restrain them, those states will all, I fear, keep up this discrimination and crush to death hated freedmen. That's not, um, that's not a race-neutral or race-blind idea. No, it's sure not. The reason that I'm going on this long preamble of history is because this all brings us back to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. People that wrote that amendment understood that the insurrectionist South and the people that had led it in insurrection were an existential threat to the preserved Union. Those who took up arms against their own government, who betrayed it on behalf of slavery, those who remained committed to that cause must be eradicated from the government forever or the Union would perish. 
They were radicals about that. In fact, the current version of Section 3, the compromise version, the original, more extreme version of the text would have barred all former Confederates from participating in democracy at all for a number of years. One founder of the amendment, radical Republican legend Thaddeus Stevens, said that even that would have been, quote, too lenient. But now here we are in 2023, faced with the plain meaning of the text written by these lost and forgotten founders whose vision of the country is a radical vision of multiracial equality for men. And this majority in Colorado takes an originalist framework when they argue that Donald Trump, the ultimate modern insurrectionist who led an armed mob against the American government, must, too, be never allowed to hold office again, just like his Confederate predecessors. Mm -hmm. Particularly when it comes to defining what exactly constitutes an office of the United States, which was the exact originalist argument the plaintiffs made when they argued in front of the court that Trump should be ineligible. The Constitution tells us over and over the president's look at you investing like you run the joint the presidency is an office and that the person who holds it swears an oath of office before assuming the execution of his office and the plain meaning of an officer is just one who holds an office so, so we think the text here is very clear that the history supports it, uh, and certainly that the core purpose of the provision supports that reading as well. And I have to say, after years of hypocrisy with so-called originalists arguing the First Amendment protects everything from unlimited dark money in our politics, the Second Amendment gives you the right to own military-grade weapons detached from the first rather sizable clause in that amendment, there is something so satisfying about seeing originalism weaponize as a force for good for multiracial democracy and equality. Ex-president engaged in insurrection against the United States. The Constitution says he is not qualified for office as a result. That is the plain truth of the matter and a straightforward reading of the law. Watch all the conservative originalists on the Supreme Court run away from it. Mel Bowie is an opinion columnist for the New York Times, and he joins me. Now, Jamel, I, you, like myself, are a, uh, a reconstruction buff. <laughs> and I, th I thought of you today as I was sort of working through this, this argument because... I wonder if you think, it, to me, it's not an accident in some ways. We've ended up here in this portion of the Constitution with Donald Trump and this question. Yeah, that it is. It is fortuitous, right? So the the purpose of this amendment, the purpose of the Reconstruction Amendment, really is to, in the words of a great book by uh, Mark Graber, uh, punish treason and reward loyalty. And this is in the face of this former slaveocracy, white supremacist uh, movement we call the Confederacy. And it feels very fitting that we are once again looking at what this Jamel, provision please. entails for constitutional government in the face of a political actor whose movement is very much about um, restoring this idea of the country as belonging to a particular group of people uh, and, and belonging exclusively to this group of people to the exclusion of all other people, and to the extent that they're willing to undermine constitutional democracy itself Christian to make that vision real. And so it's like, it, it's not just that there's a there's this originalist argument for the 14th Amendment that I think is very straightforward, but that like, this is in a lot of ways the precise circumstance that the Section 3 was written for.
Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask you, you know, one argument I think I've seen is that, well, they were they were thinking specifically about a certain insurrection, a certain rebellion, that Something they were using the term insurrection or rebellion, but it was fresh off the Civil War. And what they really meant was the following. If you participated on the side of the Confederacy, you're disqualified. They didn't mean it like going forward forever. Which is, I, I, that, you know, that's not the case. One thing that is precipitating Section 3, which is written right in this 1865-1866 period, is that there is this real fear that the former Confederates, plus Northern Democrats, Southern Sympathetic Democrats, us other actors are going to try to reclaim power and like right. uh, take see, take power within Congress once again uh, on this sort of almost perverse implications of the Thirteenth Amendment, which frees ends uh, in, in chattel slavery, frees the slaves, but also effectively repeals the Three Fifths Clause. And so, in the South, with no Three Fifths Clause, all of a sudden these former Confederates could have the representational weight of all of these now free black Americans. Uh, and the Republicans in Congress, the radical Republicans in particular, were terrified of this. And so they're looking forward. They're saying, we're trying to prevent something that may happen in right. the future using this um, this language. And there's, there's also something, I mean, I'm curious just what you think about the decision itself. I mean, you know, again, the, the history here to me is fascinating. I think the straightforward legal case is pretty clear, but it also is complicated situation in, in a sort of unprecedented situation. What, what do you think of that? I'm very much inclined to say that the legal reasoning is airtight. I, it, it's to me very straightforward what the Constitution demands in this case. The political case, not removing Trump from the ballot, is a, a bit trickier. And I think there's a legitimate case to make that it is would be counterproductive have Trump disqualified in this manner, and that the best approach is at the ballot box. I also wonder, too, I mean, one of the things I've seen people sort of rebelling at the very notion of disqualification, that that itself is anti-democratic. And I return again, the reason this sort of, this sort of inner originalist little preamble here is because their vision of disqualification was precisely for the preservation of multiracial democracy against its foes. It wasn't dictatorial. It was precisely because those people posed such a threat to the multiracial democracy that was in its infancy. They were trying to, to create amidst you know tremendous threat, pressure, and violence that it is a pro-democratic portion of a pro-democratic amendment. That's right. Their, their fear is that the Southern uh, former Confederates will once again be in Congress or in power in the states and just begin to repeal, <coughs> excuse me, repeal the efforts of the Reconstruction Congress to bring some degree of equality to the South. And in the same way, if we were all certain, right, that Donald Trump was going to respect uh, the Constitution, was going to respect uh, liberal democratic values, I don't think this would be an issue. But obviously, because of January 6th, because we know that Trump is contemptuous of these things and that there is a non-trivial chance that once in office again, Trump will again try to completely undermine constitutional government, it sets up the situation where this is not just a simply a case yeah. of differing political views, but this is someone who is opposed to the foundation of the system itself. And that's where the language of the, the 14th Amendment comes in and Section 3 comes in. All right, Jamal Bowie, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Uh, come here. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Presidente, amigo, hermano, I'm very proud to be here tonight to help launch the foundation of my Colombian brother. And I don't use that word lightly or sparingly. Now, philanthropy, in its purest sense, its most ancient roots, is being free enough to give without an expectation to get. It is the courage to contribute to a cause whose conclusion you may never see nor benefit from. Oceans of impact, drops of glory. Now, I have studied leadership and leaders my whole life. And I have admired most the philosopher king leadership model. 3D leadership. 4D leadership. The notion that known visible decisions of today will create unknown invisible reactions tomorrow. How to best control those? How to best manage these known unknowns, but always with the right blend of wisdom and empathy to govern, not just simply rule, to keep the we, not just the me, us, not just I. The philosopher king. Ivan, you have done this. You are this. You will be this. I told you once, man. You were a rocket ship. This foundation will propel you and what you stand for to your next term of office. A different type of office. A global rocket ship powered by Colombian fuel. Your best is yet to come. And it could not come at a more necessary time. I see today many leaders in front of me. But what about tomorrow's leaders? Who will be sitting in these chairs a generation from now? Well, my new favorite program of the new foundation is one we are proudly supporting helping to develop the talent of tomorrow. Wearing the hat of Libra Philanthropies, we are sponsoring in partnership with the foundation 120 future leaders from this wonderful nation that you all love so much. Who I expect will be sitting in these chairs in front of me many years from now. And we will need them in these chairs because the problems ahead of us are so difficult and complex. So many of the easy problems have already been solved. Just read the books of history. We are all the product of the price of progress. Thank goodness, in a way. But you know, I've never done easy in my life. You, Ivan, when have you done easy? Nunca. 
We don't do easy. We don't want easy. We are not moved to act by that which is easy. Neither our history nor our future is shaped by what is easy. They are both shaped by what is hard. This foundation will not be about the easy. Now let me tell you a story, please. 18 months ago, I came with my brother Nick and my friend Matt Swift to Cartagena to visit the president. We spent two rich and profound days together discussing many important, critical matters representing our respective interests. I was about to leave for the airport. The president and I were sitting alone, reflecting. And he said to me, George, you cannot imagine how the last two days have helped me. <laughs> I looked at him and said, Ivan, you cannot imagine how the last two days have helped me. I then got up to leave. He said, no, you cannot leave. <laughs> I said, man, I have to go. He says, George, I have a gift for you. Please wait. I said, okay. I started to think, is it a plaque? Is it an award? Is it a certificate? And we waited. People running around. Everyone was waiting for this gift. And then a member of the presidential staff ran in and the president of Colombia presented me with a hammock, una maca. And then the following happened. Dressing. All right, Jamal Bowie, always a pleasure. Thanks, sir. <laughs> uh, coming up, we dive into details. What is the Colorado Supreme Court trying to tell the U.S. Supreme Court in its decision? That's next. One thing that's quite clear in the Colorado majority opinion uh, is how much the majority is writing for the conservative United States Supreme Court, knowing full well they will almost certainly review it. It's particularly true around the Supreme Court's terms of originalism, the original public meaning, a phrase they use, but also in the bedrock conservative principle that states are the ultimate arbiters of and administrators of elections, even federal elections. This has been a stalwart conservative piece of jurisprudence, and it is in that context that the Colorado justices take Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch in his own words when he was an appellate court judge and offer them back at him, citing him saying, yes, it is, quote, a state's legitimate interest protecting the integrity and practical functioning of the political process that permits it to exclude from the ballot candidates who are constitutionally prohibited from assuming office. This is part of a broader, long-standing tendency among conservatives of asserting that states' rights devolve things to the states, even though that is often and has been historically to the great detriment of all kinds of voters of color and all sorts of other populations. Now, that exact same principle is going to come before a Supreme Court is likely going to find historic and perhaps mm -hmm. comical ways to bend itself around to the other view. Everyone anticipates they're going to take this case. Most people think they will overturn it. But 
almost a schadenfreude interest in exactly how they're going to do it. Melissa Murray is a professor at New York University School of Law, co-host of Strict Scrutiny Podcast, along with Leah Levin and my wife, Kate Shaw. Jeffrey Tubin is an attorney and legal analyst, and they both join me now. So I don't think there's much suspense, like, will they take it? They're going to take it, though it would be hilarious if they didn't. I also don't think there's a ton of suspense about they're going to let this stand. I don't think they will. The interesting question is, like, how are they going to get there? What do you think? So, again, we saw that the Colorado majority cited Justice Gorsuch liberally from this Tenth Circuit decision when he was a judge. And this was, you know, what the kids on Twitter call a this you moment. So are these your commitments? And this is a court that has been very clear about their commitments to textualism, their commitments to strict interpretation, their commitments to this idea of federalism, that there are certain things that are state prerogatives and are for the states to decide, including election law. All of this is going to be tested in this case because there's also this outstanding practical concern that if they allow this decision to stand, whether it's because of textualism, federalism, or whatnot, it means that there's going to be a patchwork quilt of disqualifications all around this country, patchwork ballots, and this election will probably not seem super legitimate to the people that it needs to seem legitimate to. And that's a real concern. And it's not unlike the kind of practicality concerns that guided the court in Bush versus Gore back in 2000. (laughs) Versus score, it's talk about states' rights. It is. It is, it is well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, what it means to be a conservative is to believe that states get to regulate their own affairs, right. especially when it comes to elections. And this is at issue a state statute in Colorado about the election. Just mm-hmm. as in Florida, it was Florida law saying under Florida yes, law, you Al Gore are entitled to a recount. I like it. It blows my mind. The prices blow my mind. Team shopping like a billionaire. Are entitled to a recount. The Supreme Court in Bush v. Gore said, no, 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 this would be unfair to George W. Bush. It would violate his rights, thus George Bush's president. So, you know, these these principles yield to results that the majority wants to, and I expect that's what would happen Yeah, I, I have to say, just to add to that, not only did they say, no, 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 it would violate its rights, it would violate its rights under the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, yes. which we have now found a novel interpretation of the Equal Protection Clause that this violates, though it's only good, said novel interpretation, for this decision and no more. This ticket for this train only, That's that, that was... That was the heart of Bush v. Yeah. So I agree with everything that Jeff has said. I think one thing is different is that this is a very different court than the one yeah. in Bush versus Gore. This is a court whose legitimacy has been called into question yeah. numerous times over the last three years. This is not the court that was in 2000. And I think that has to weigh on them as I well. Like it. I don't know that it will it's necessarily mine. lead to a different outcome, but it will shape mind. the way they get to that outcome. Well, and I also don't want to be, I, I don't want to be over, like, it is a set of novel issues. Like, and they say that in the majority opinion. I think they're quite clear about that. The big question of, like, yes, the plain language is clear, but, like, what counts as insurrection? And, and more, I think, precisely, who gets to say, who is the arbiter of whether an individual counts here? Well, and that's, that's where I think there is room for the Supreme Court to get rid of this case in a way that is intellectually respectable, which is, uh-huh. um, <laughs> which is you don't... That yes, it is true. A president, a, a presidential candidate, can be disqualified for um, supporting and engaging in insurrection. But Donald Trump was not given I adequate due process. He was not given uh-huh. adequate opportunity mm-hmm. to prove that he did 
that he did not engage in it, that there was the trial was too attenuate, it was was too brief. Right. He wasn't allowed to subpoena witnesses. He wasn't allowed to take depositions. That's one way of getting rid of the case, overturning day. it without too much embarrassing themselves. And, and the dissenters <laughs> in Colorado sort of laid the seeds for that when they talked Whatever about the idea that they were very reluctant self. to disqualify someone in the absence of a criminal conviction right. for insurrection. And so seeds of this are already in the water. So I guess one, one thing that's very interesting about that, and mm -hmm. I also I, I agree, I think there's there's a their way out for them to not be as quite sort of like obvious as Bush v. Gore, though sort of where they had they were sort of their backs were up against the wall. They were just like, screw it, right? <laughs> I mean they were. They but but in this case, I mean what's interesting is okay, I think that's a colorable argument. Right. That this is a serious thing to disqualify from the ballot. You need uh, the Constitution requires a level of process akin to a criminal conviction. Correct. Right. What's interesting about that is like, OK, <laughs> well, he might get a criminal conviction for a crime that isn't explicitly named as insurrection, but is essentially that. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, that becomes a fresh constitutional issue. Again. Well, that's why this issue is necessarily over, right. is that if if he gets convicted in one of these cases, particularly the Washington, right. yes. the DC, which is the one likely to go to trial first, assuming the Supreme Court lets it go to well, go, go, go to trial. If he's convicted again, you if he's convicted for a first time, then you will see other states come back to this issue. And then he will there will be an even better argument right. because he will have got that due process. process. You know, what's more a due process right than a criminal trial? Basically so, the highest bar we have. So it's not it, this issue, even if this Colorado decision is overturned at this point, it doesn't mean it's over for 2024. So I think that may be the mm -hmm. way the court will proceed, like reverse on the Colorado Supreme Court decision, but then mm -hmm. allow the claim, allow the trials to go forward, that there is no presidential immunity for these criminal indictments. But it is worth noting that Jack Smith had the opportunity to specifically charge Donald Trump with insurrection and did not. Right. And so instead, it's this you know, obstruction of a congressional hearing. And that may also right. be chum in the water because there's this Fisher versus United States case where the court has to decide whether the meaning of the statute about obstructing governmental proceedings is meant to apply to something like this or simply something that is meant to apply to Enron, which is the origins of that statute in the first place. So there's a lot more that's going to happen here, but the court may try to split this baby. Uh, th there's mm -hmm. also, I mean, I guess mm -hmm. there's also a question of a timeline here. I mean, the, the, the timeline is sort of of the utmost importance in the immunity claims that are that are working their way up. We're going to talk about that a little more later. There's also, I mean, there's a clock ticking here, right? You got to get people on the ballot. There's going to be a, a primary. I mean, I guess my question to you is: one of the things we know about the court is it moves as fast as it wants to, right? So, what do you expect here? Well, I th I think they will move quick. They will move quickly on this one, and they won't care particularly that. Um, the due process they demand will take too long. They just want to get this case out of the way and, and just, you know, let this people, let the people of Colorado vote for who they want to. And, and you know, we, we're sort of doing a little mockery of the court. There is a principle here that is troubling sure. that, that where you don't allow um, the Republican Party to pick the candidate of, the, uh, yeah. of their choice. And yes, it is true. This this provision of the Constitution considers that. But you better be damn sure before you start kicking people off ballot. I mean, I agree with that. And the only thing I'll say in response to that is because I've seen a lot of people saying that, and I don't think it's like at all an illegitimate argument. It's just that, like, I guess my feeling is like the con the Constitution explicitly contemplates disqualification in a few different places, and so there is some category of political behavior, specifically political behavior, 
supporting insurrection in the case of an impeachment, right, with conviction that says like, yeah, this person is rendered outside, like they just can't stand for office again. I think that notion that that category even exists is a little offensive to us. But if it ever existed for a person, like I just sort of feel like, yes, I get it. Like it should be a high bar. But if there's anyone who's going to get up over the bar, Melissa, I feel like he's a pretty good candidate. Yes. Um, I, no argument there. But again, I think there is this question of will this lead to even more instability? I mean, this yeah. is a court that I think is concerned about practicalities. And we've seen the court be concerned about practicalities, especially in the context of an election before. And I think that has to concern them, um, not the least of which their own leg legitimacy, but the legitimacy of this election and having this election pass the smell test for at least 50 percent of the country who thinks Donald Trump should be on the ballot. Yeah, I just want to read this last uh, line by Jesse Wegman, editorial board member of The Times, who said this. He said, it's easy to say Mr. Trump's ultimate rejection should come at the hands of the voters, not the courts. Agree with that. Obvious rejoiners and outright majority of voters already rejected the guy. Drinking coffee every day didn't work for me. It wasn't until I went from 195 to 133 that I figured out why. There's already rejected the guy in, in 2020, and we know how that turned out. Brutal violence, several deaths, enduring myth of a stolen election. Why should we expect it to be different the next time? That's the other thing that hangs over this. The final thing I'll say, uh, and ask you, Jeff, is there's also the threat of violence towards the judges, the, the justices on the state Supreme Court, and the SCOTUS justices. Like, they signed that majority opinion per curiam anonymously, essentially. You can look up their names, but... That's a real concern yeah, as well. And th this, there is violence hovering. Or, you, know, you know, there was just an, a, an arrest in Arizona that didn't get much publicity recently about someone threatening to kill, um, you know, all sorts of federal officials. You know, violence hangs over this. January 6th um, was, was um, you know, there is an aggressive prosecution has taken place. But right-wing violence in this country is continuing, and yeah. uh, uh, the FBI director has spoken about how difficult it is to stop it, and, and it hasn't gone away. Melissa Murray, Jeffrey Tubin, great to have you both here at the table. Appreciate it. Still to come, what if it works? What are the far-reaching ramifications that Melissa just spoke of if Donald Trump really does get kicked off a bunch of ballots? That's next. Mm. That fucking great. So everybody's assuming at this moment the Supreme Court will overturn the Colorado decision to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. It's not necessarily a given. One prominent appellate lawyer, Rafi Melkonian, joked on social media about how the high court could instead very easily open a legal and political Pandora's box. He said, quote, deny certain be legends. Hmm. That means as the Supreme Court could do what they have done with so many cases, what they do with most cases, just nothing. Refuse to take it. Let the Colorado court ruling stand. You guys figure it out. Or just leave it up to individual states to decide whether the ex-president is legally disqualified from the ballots. That would be a truly legendary decision, because what would flow from it would almost certainly be a crazy and unprecedented legal patchwork. Now, there are at least 16 states with cases pending that challenge Trump's eligibility for office under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It is, according to Lawfare Blog's Section 3 Trump Disqualification Tract. Thank you for that, Lawfare include Alaska, Arizona, Maine, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, South Carolina, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Altogether, they represent 176 electoral votes. I don't think the challenges would succeed in all those states. In fact, in some of them, uh, they've already failed. They're just pending appeal. But Colorado has shown is that there really is a strong, plain text constitutional case here. It's not frivolous. It's real. And at least a few of these states could see successful challenge. What exactly would it look like to have Donald Trump kicked off the ballot? In? 
in many Whether you like it or not, oh, we are shit. facing an election next year. The successful challenge. What exactly would it Colorado include Alaska, Arizona, Maine, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, South Carolina, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Altogether, they represent 176 electoral votes. I don't think the challenges would succeed in all those states. In fact, in some of them, uh, they've already failed. They're just pending appeal. But Colorado has shown is that there really is a strong, plain text constitutional case here. It's not frivolous. It's real. And at least a few of these states could see successful challenge. What exactly would it look like to have Donald Trump kicked off the ballot in four or five states before we're about to run a national election? Mm -hmm. That ultimately good for the country and most importantly, support the forces fighting for American democracy. Talk about that next. If the leading Democratic presidential nominee just got kicked off the ballot in a key battleground state, the entirety of the discourse the next day would be Democrats freaking out and hanring about what to do. It's not the case in the Republican Party. Donald Trump gets kicked off the ballot in Colorado, and the consensus among his party challengers seems to be that it helps him with Republican primary voters, that it's a gift. What if it is not just one state that ultimately declares Trump ineligible? What if it becomes three or four or 16? No, maybe, thinking out loud here, maybe they shouldn't nominate this guy. Amanda Carpenter is a writer and editor at Project Democracy, who previously served as a Republican communications director on Capitol Hill. Bill Steele is the former chair of the RNC, and they join me now. All right, the, we, we sort of passed through the legal arguments here, which I think are interesting, but the, the biggest thing that I've seen people arguing about uh, is starting tomorrow, this odd rice hack can change I like your life it. and help There's you drop mine. up to 13 pounds. The prices blow my mind. There's one simple vision hack anyone can use to improve vision so you can say goodbye to your optometrist. The thing that I've seen people arguing about uh, is, is the political ramifications. Like, what does this do to the country? What does it do to politics? What does it do to legitimacy? Amanda, what, what's your read? What, what is your Get another impression? candidate, for fuck's sake. Well, my impression is that we're going to have more questions than just this case more broadly about the rule of law. I mean, the reason we are here is not because Americans say, oh, we have kings in our country, we're okay with dictatorship, Donald Trump can do whatever he wants. Right. That is not what has happened at all. The only people failing to hold Donald Trump accountable so far are members of the elite in the Republican Party, either through the impeachment process or the unfolding Republican primary process. The American people rejected him as re-electing him as president in 2020. But put that aside, now we're testing questions of legal accountability. Like and bucks. people absolutely have a right to ask the question, um, courts, hey, does the 14th Amendment mean actually what it says could the courts decide so the only thing we should really be worried about in terms of the politics is are we going to resolve these questions questions quickly before the election so that americans can have full knowledge whether trump did um was involved in an insurrection and should be disqualified from office but more broadly i think the more important question legally uh is being posed right now by jack smith and whether Donald Trump, as a president, is immune from the law or not. He should be tried as Michael, a terrorist and a traitor. I, I agree with that analysis. I think it's spot My on. Question. This is exactly where we are. So I want to take what Amanda just said and just move it out a little bit further, because that is the sweet spot of the argument. Now let's deal with the, un the ugly underbelly of right. the argument. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the, any of this, how any of this plays out. There's a narrative that's been set in motion around Donald Trump. Yeah. That regardless of outcome, circumstances, or situations, the end game is the same. 
to empower him and to empower this movement that is in, in enabling him, that will not hold him accountable for anything. So while the court is swinging and thinking and moving, and in some cases, as we've seen um, in some of the issues related to his free speech rights as a candidate, bending over backwards and trying to, to stay consistent with uh, the constitutional norms and the rule of law, you have at, at hand um, within the Republican Party itself, among activists around the country, a general consensus that this is all about Trump, and we yeah. will be there to make this realize, make it realizable for him, whether he, you know, is rejected by the American people or not. The narrative stays the same for them. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I really go back and forth on this. I think, you know, this is what uh, John Wood said today in the U to, uh, USA Today. Trust in our civic and legal institutions among Republicans already at perilous lows would burn through the Earth's crust if the judicial system blocks the most popular GOP candidate from the ballot. I think he's right, but then at the same time, it's also like, right, but if he loses fair and square, <laughs> they're all going to freak out too. Like, at a certain point, like... You know, this is what drives me crazy about this whole discussion is like, they, we did it. The country did it. They People mobilized. They gathered. They had a free and free election. He lost by 7 million votes. It wasn't particularly close in the Electoral College. Like, it all happened. He lost by 8 million fucking votes. And he also, and he lost by 3 million votes in 2016, so. What can I? Uh-oh. I know we're going to, uh. Knitting. <laughs> that was that. Okay. Harry and Megan's dire 24 predictions. 22 hours ago, Sky News Australia. Hi, this is Katie Porter. I'm officially okay. running for the U.S. Senate in California, Yay. and I need your support. You, Here are three reasons why your donation right now makes a real difference. One, investing in our campaign now gives us the best chance of success. The stakes in the U.S. Senate are too high, and we need a warrior in Washington. Two, I don't accept a cent of corporate PAC or lobbyist money. Some candidates rely on big donors and special interests to fund their campaigns. But I have always stood up to corporate power. I work for you, not them. Three, we have a big fundraising deadline coming up. And reporting strong fundraising numbers will show the power of our grassroots movement. Can you please chip in today? Our grassroots... Prince okay. Harry and Meghan Markle have had a tumultuous 2023, and things are looking even more dire in 2024. Dire. Sky News All-Star Esther Kraku reflects on the Rebel Royals past year and predicts what's to come. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have had a rough 2023. Business fails, reputational damage and family tensions have put strain on the pair individually and as a couple. To top off a less than ideal year for Harry and Meghan, the pair were named the biggest losers of 2023, 
With this decline in popularity looking set to intensify in 2024, according to Sky News All-Star Esther Kraku. Joining us now is writer and broadcaster Esther Kraku. Esther, Crackered. do you think we started this year talking about spare? That seems like a lifetime ago. Crackered. But the year didn't really improve too much for the Sussexes, finding themselves amongst the biggest losers for 2023. Isn't she on track? Yes, so that is according to the Hollywood Reporter, which is basically the Hollywood Bible of the who, who's who in, 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 in the Tinsel Town. And for them to find themselves basically as, as themselves as the base, basically the biggest losers in Hollywood really does say something about how the attitude towards them, particularly amongst the, the powers that be that really emboldened them when they made uh, their massive exit from the royal family, it just shows how like they've declined in popularity. It, it's really quite a fall from grace, if you will. Uh, for them to be classed as the biggest losers means that actually a lot of the people that you would think would hover around them and, and try and, you know, steal a bit of, of the limelight of Sussex should actually have given their proximity in the royal family. I mean, Prince Harry is a prince, for goodness sake. They're just not seeing really any value there. You know, this is a couple that went from having deals with Netflix and Spotify, these multi-million pound deals. They were having deals with Oprah. You couldn't run away from them in the headlines. They were literally everywhere. Everyone was thinking... What are they going to do next? Are they going to bring down the royal family? What, you know, They're doing what just fine. trailblazing venture are they going to embark on next? And that's really all just shattered under their own feet because they really just didn't understand a lot of the fundamental uh, key characteristics that's made the royal family uh, effectively last this long. You know, the never explain, never complain, the humility, the, the commitment to, to service and, 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 and duty. We never really saw that with the Sussexes and it really just made their star wane and for that reason, many in Hollywood don't really see the point of attaching themselves to the Sussexes. I mean, they've had so many fails this year. It, it really it, it it's, belief. it's very hard to even contemplate where to begin. Uh, 2023 hasn't been a good year for the Sussexes. And I, I imagine that the decline like is only going dollars. to continue. Um, again, like I was saying with their relationship with the royal family, their reputation as well has calcified. Most people in one way or another have an opinion about the Sussexes, whether it's you know, just not caring about them or not really seeing much point to them. Even if you're mega fans, you cannot argue that 2023 has been a good year uh, for the pair. Esther Kraku also highlighted Meghan and Harry's severe great. reputational damage that occurred this year due to their undignified reaction to their circumstances. For him to be able to be seen by the British public as, as a human being who made mistakes, who's a lovable character, who's someone in tune with reality, to now this kind of moaning, really miserable middle-aged man uh, who doesn't seem to understand that he's a literal prince and couldn't have more privilege if he tried, uh, it just goes to show that actually that you have to have a certain level of self-awareness and that's something that the royal family has really mastered. Even even in times of crisis, even in times of, you know, when the royal family uh, had a lot of internal conflicts like now, now but the, for instance, back in the 1990s with the dissolution of, of the marriage between uh, uh, Diana and King Charles, it, you know, there was still a sense of actually we realise that we're in a very privileged position and we have to be we tread carefully and, uh, about how we, we come across. And I don't think the Sussexes ever learned that. I mean, one of the points that I made is the Sussexes never really displayed a sense of duty. It only took a couple of years for them to storm out of the royal family, um, like pe petulant children, you know, release an interview with Oprah, where they were with Oprah, when, you know, release a book like Spet, where they were just complaining, release a Netflix documentary, again, where they were just complaining and complaining. Those to show that actually they didn't have a lot of grit, which, which made demonstrate that their hearts 
weren't in it or they had uh, had uh, um, which don't align with, with with what the royal family is about and we're seeing that as they're seeing that as this fall you and can actually see music the in, the in, the, in, in the couple's character a major business fail for harry and megan amongst losing lucrative media contracts has been the quick decline of their charity archwell it appears their charity Archwell doesn't be, doesn't appear to be doing much work or too well in on the donation front either. Either. Yeah. So in in the span of the year, the Archwell Foundation has seen a drop in almost nine million pounds in uh, in their the donations. And um, this is up down from you know they received about ten point four million last year. This year they've they've, they've received only about one point two, I believe. <clears throat> so it's quite a steep decline in their donations. And this is another thing that's attached to their brand as brand sussex effectively tumbles down and it's effectively free falling so does anything attached to them including the archie world foundation now it's very strange because you would think that this couple that have effectively said that the great crusaders and they're going to do good on their own terms and not be attached to the royal family they're actually learning the hard way that the the public perception of them does affect their ability to be able to have the kind of impact that they want to have and unfortunately that's a very tough lesson to learn now they don't have any of the expertise of the resources or, or the uh, experience that the royal family has or, or, or really anyone that's run a, a charity organization or does charitable work so they're really kind of finding their feet and learning as they go along but a big part of that is reputation management and when you spend the last few years Harry and Megan. They made like a billion dollars. And I heard they made a billion dollars last year. and whinging about your negative experience in the royal family and how awful your family are to you and the British press and all of these things, that does impact you, your, your, the, the public's perception of you. Rachel. And the pressure Rachel. of the last year has inevitably caught up with the couple, with Sky News host Danica DiGiorgio predicting Meghan and Harry are headed for Splitsville in 2024. Danica, what's your big prediction? Harry and Meghan will split next year, finally. Ooh. The woe is me couple will call it quits. I think Meghan will be the one to initiate it. She's had enough. She wants to go back to Someone's her D-grade acting. Someone's going to the on YouTube. She wants to go back. She wants to go back. She wants to go back to her D-grade acting career. She realises that it hasn't quite worked out with Harry because her career's gone nowhere. They're going to call it quits and he'll re-kindle re the family. Throughout the year, well. whispers of a royal reconciliation between Prince Harry and and his family have swelled. 
but after the damaging accusations in the new book Endgame levelled against the royal family, Esther Krakow says King Charles is keeping his distance. There's more to explore at Zoo Lights. Enjoy a brand new Lake Lights show on the five-story... Yes, I mean, the, we... we said i think this commentator is wrong harry and megan are doing great they seem to be thriving away from the weird royal family and i hear heard they made a billion dollars last year from reports um, within the royal family that the king is keen on some sort of reconciliation this is a man in his mid-70s he only has two children he, he's obviously you know nearing the end of his life or at the point where you start to reflect on things uh, he's not happy about the situation between the Sussex and the royal family or the fact that this rift risk really risk calcifying in this way but you know it, it's very hard to be for him to justify trying to bring the Sussexes back into the fold especially given the latest allegations made in, in Omid Scobie's book Endgame where you know you have the likes of the king and, and, and Princess Catherine effectively being humiliated by being called racist without having the right to reply uh, and, and I can imagine you know just getting on with it is, is very difficult when you have someone assassinating your character in this way so it will be very it, it, it will be a, such a tightrope for, for it is such a tightrope for the king to to, to to walk to try and you know have some sort of relationship with his, his son harry and, and his family but also try and maintain the peace uh, within his family i mean we heard reports that the sussexes hinted that they would be open to receiving a, an invitation to sandingham this year and even uh, wanting to attend but Actually, it's not been clear that any ambition has been extended to them, um, which I guess is, is another reality that's going to hit home. I'm personally very skeptical um, of whether there's any going back from this. I don't think uh, Prince William wants to have very much to do with the Sussexes. I think there's also the very real threat of the lack of privacy. Um, we can't trust that there's not going to be some sort of Netflix camera in the corner or uh, you know some hidden microphone for all the Sussexes complaining about a lack of privacy um, and even Prince Harry's recent case. A lack of privacy thousand pounds in, in a phone hacking scandal you know it's very likely that other members of the royal family have faced a similar ordeal and for, for one of your own for someone within your own circle to effectively be doing the same thing that he's accused others of doing um by publishing memoirs and going to netflix and and and, and publishing secrets of the family in such a tawdry and and, and and uncouth manner you know how can king charles bring them back in the fold there would be no peace for anyone you just it'd be like bringing the enemy within and it would be a, a deeply uncomfortable Experience. So I know King Charles is very cognizant of that, and unfortunately, this is what he's going to have to face for, I suspect, many more years. And in stark contrast to Harry and Meghan's struggling popularity, the royal family, and in particular Princess Kate, has only been on the up this year, proving the racism scandal had no negative impact on their reputation. Now onto Princess Kate, and despite the barrage of allegations, allegations to have been aimed at her this year, including uh, those racism claims made in Endgame, Endgame, just getting more and more popular. Do you think it's because she just gets on with it and keeps her head down? Down? I think so, and I think that there is an element of understanding that most things will blow over, blow over. Outrage mobs don't don't have the stamina to keep being outraged for, for months or even years at a time, at a time. Today, it's, it's very difficult to be in the public eye and not have moments where you have negative media press or the media press or the unsubstantiated claims against you, especially as a working member of the royal family, where you effectively forfeit your right of forfeit your right. You know, you can't complain to the media, you can't uh, effectively make your case because most people don't want most people don't um and that's something that you know princess catherine understands this is a woman that 
was involved with Kate was involved with me from a very young age. You know, she was she received a lot of negative media attention. She was called Waity Katie, Katie. And the press followed her every move. We've really seen her evolve from a young woman in university to to now being the future queen. And in all of that, she's never given an inclination that she's not grateful or that she hates what she's doing or um, she she's a victim in any way. She really just gets on with it. And I think that's a mantra that many members of the royal yeah, family have, have have adopted. That's been very successful. And it, it, the Sussexes are a prime example of how things can go south once you deviate from that. Once you, you make it known that actually you feel like a victim and everyone must must treat you as such, um, you're not going to get very far. And unfortunately, that's the name of the game. You do forfeit certain things when you are in a position of prominence. And unfortunately, your right to complain uh, is one of them. Constitutional right to complain. Starting tomorrow, this odd rice hack can change your life and help you drop Petition up to 13 pounds week grievances. after week. The reason First Amendment. Oh, man. Not that. Who's fucking Rachel? I think Carrie and Megan are doing great. Right, what other bullshit can you check out? Simpsons warning us? Simpsons is warning us about this Bible event. Check this out. Rapture? <laughs> oh, Mr. Thompson. What if your wife finds out? It's modern times. Everyone's doing it. Where did my Christian limo driver go? Huh. My pious husband is missing. The baby I chose to have baptized is gone. Mr. Thompson, what's happening? It's the rapture, Shauna. The rapture. Uh -huh. The virtuous have gone to heaven, and the rest of us have been left below. We were fools, and because we rejected God, tacitly accepting Satan, we must suffer through the apocalypse. Jesus is coming back. And if you're not right with him, click the link that's pinned and hit that subscribe button. Simpsons is warning us about this Bible event. Simpsons lesson about stock market. Tonight, announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Former President Donald Trump has officially announced he will be running for presidency in 2024, but he still remains second on the U.S. election odds board, trailing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who leapfrogged him and currently sits in first place at plus 225. 
giving DeSantis an implied probability of just over 30%. DeSantis cleaned up at the Florida gubernatorial. Guess Uber. what? The Simpsons have yet again predicted the future. Donald Trump announced that he will be running for president again in 2024. This the prediction was- animated. This must be old. Made back in 2015 in the Simpson short, A Trumptastic Voyage. Homer flies by a sign that predicts Trump will run for president every year from 2012 to 2028. So yes, they did predict he would run in 2024, along with a few other years. We'll just have to see what the future holds. Yes. Well, he's gonna be, yeah, I predict he's going to be knocked off the ballot and he's going to be uh, ineligible to run for office. And probably he's going to get all his uh, assets taken away from him, <clears throat> liquidated, and uh, going to go back to the public good. I don't um, You know, they're going to seize his assets and um, liquidate he's gonna have to. He's going to have to sell off all his property to pay off all the all the damages. That's my prediction. So it says, when will World War Three start? Alexa, when will World War Three start? World War Three starts on November 23rd, 2023 at 6.05 p.m. when Russia launches an attack against Germany. Huh? <laughs> Alexa, when will World War Three start? World War Three starts on November 23rd, 2023 at 6.05 p.m. Let's see what they say in the comments. It's wrong. Well, it's your 24 number of 23 and no World War Three started. <laughs> Let's go. World War Three didn't start. Wrong. Tried telling this to my landlord and I still have to pay my rent. <laughs> POB, you're watching this in 2023 or November 23. Welcome to death. Nothing happened. Hi there, welcome back. Thanks for 310k. Having a Caesar salad. Let's listen to All In with Chris Hayes for today. Get caught up on the news. When you download the Fries app, you have easy access to when savings every day and get. Good evening from New York. I'm Chris Hayes. Colorado Republicans are publicly threatening to change how they vote for presidential nominees in light of yesterday's decision by the state Supreme Court in Colorado to bar Trump from the primary ballot under the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. State GOP now saying it may begin the legally fraught process of switching from a primary to a caucus in order to allow its members to still cast their votes for Trump next March. Now, that mostly just seems like posturing, to be honest. For all of the controversy, when you go back to the relevant text used to raise the challenge, Section 3, the 14th Amendment, it really does stand out as pretty darn fitting. No person shall hold any office under the United States who, having previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States to support the Constitution, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Cannot hold government office if you are an insurrectionist or you supported insurrectionists. It's quite clear, uh -huh. quite simple. 
especially when you consider the amendment within the historical context of its ratification. This decision from the Colorado Supreme Court yesterday still came as a, a shock, surprise. And that's largely, I think, because right. of the ways in which American legal culture this has grown to emphasize, even fetishize some parts of the Constitution and its founding, while largely ignoring others. Around the 1980s, the American right embraced the judicial philosophy of originalism, thanks in large part to late conservative Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Basically, it's the idea that we should interpret the Constitution only as its founders intended and as people understood it at the time. Mm -hmm. To be clear, this was always a reactionary project, often undertaken in transparently bad faith. Used to reverse engineer the right's preferred By political way, outcomes and discard it when it didn't Alito. fit their agenda. Originalism remains a de facto legal theory of the American conservative movement and, honestly, the 6-3 Trump court. It remains enormously effective as a rhetorical tool because it taps into our shared civic religion of reverence for our founders. That in mind, then, I think it's worth looking at the history of the Reconstruction Amendments to ratify with the hope of refounding the country after the Civil War without the stain of slavery following the horrible carnage of that war. When it was over, 600,000 men had perished. But the Union held, and the Constitution, like the nation, was reborn. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments together, but above all the 14th Amendment, is the fruit of the Civil War. It is what all those brave men fought for and died for. It's from a PBS documentary about the war. These amendments, particularly the 14th Amendment, guaranteeing equal protection, completely and utterly transformed the structure of American government. Legal ramifications of the 14th Amendment gave rise to everything we think of as the modern state and pluralistic multiracial democracy. It is impossible to overstate just how important it is to our current understanding of what America is and of constitutional law. And yet, its founding second founding of the country, the founding amendments after the war, the Reconstruction Amendments, is basically lost to history. These drafters are not household We're names part like of the men who don't you understand? There's a reason for that. Those men were political radicals. The people who drafted the Reconstruction Amendments were the vanguard of radicalism, in fact, who, after defeating the traitorous, insurrectionist slave power of the South, forced them at gunpoint into a participatory, multiracial democracy. Over the past 150 years, there has been an effort not to reckon with that uncompromising fact. Said, if you're going to take an originalist perspective here, that history is pretty important. The 14th Amendment was indeed a bold act of raw political power in furtherance of that project of multiracial democracy, and it should be interpreted as such person most responsible for covering that fundamental reality of our country's second founding and the constitutional provisions it created is Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson. Time and again, she has argued we cannot ignore the radical origins or radical meaning of the 14th Amendment, nor its original intention as a protector of marginalized people in the face of state oppression. This has been especially apparent when she talks about things like affirmative action and voting rights. I understood that we looked at the history and traditions of the Constitution, at what the framers and the founders thought about. And when I drilled down to that level of analysis, it became clear to me that the framers themselves adopted 
the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment in a race-conscious way. The entire point of the amendment to secure rights of the freed former slaves, the legislator who introduced that amendment said that, quote, unless the Constitution should restrain them, those states will all, I fear, keep up this discrimination and crush to death hated freedmen. That's not, um, that's not a race-neutral or race-blind idea. No, it's sure not. The reason that I'm going on this long preamble of history is because this all brings us back to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. People that wrote that amendment understood that the insurrectionist South and the people that had led it in insurrection were an existential threat to the preserved union. Those who took up arms against their own government, who betrayed it on behalf of slavery, those who remained committed to that cause must be eradicated from the government forever or the union would perish. They were radicals about that. In fact, the current version of Section 3 the compromise version, the original, more extreme version of the text would have barred all former Confederates from participating in democracy at all for a number of years. One founder of the amendment, radical Republican legend Thaddeus Stevens, said that even that would have been, quote, too lenient. But now here we are in 2023, faced with the plain meaning of the text written by these lost and forgotten founders whose vision of the country is a radical vision of multiracial equality for men. And this majority in Colorado takes an originalist framework when they argue that Donald Trump, the ultimate modern insurrectionist who led an armed mob against the American government, must, too, be never allowed to hold office again, just like his Confederate predecessors. Mm -hmm. Particularly when it comes to defining what exactly constitutes an office of the United States, which was the exact originalist argument the plaintiffs made when they argued in front of the court that Trump should be ineligible. The Constitution tells us over and over the president's look at you investing like you run the joint the presidency is an office and that the person who holds it swears an oath of office before assuming the execution of his office and the plain meaning of an officer is just one who holds an office so, so we think the text here is very clear that the history supports it, uh, and certainly that the core purpose of the provision supports that reading as well. And I have to say, after years of hypocrisy with so-called originalists arguing the First Amendment protects everything from unlimited dark money in our politics, the Second Amendment gives you the right to own military-grade weapons detached from the first rather sizable clause in that amendment, there is something so satisfying about seeing originalism weaponize as a force for good for multiracial democracy and equality. Ex-president engaged in insurrection against the United States. The Constitution says he is not qualified for office as a result. That is the plain truth of the matter and a straightforward reading of the law. Watch all the conservative originalists on the Supreme Court run away from it. Jamel Bowie is an opinion columnist for the New York Times, and he joins me. Now, Jamel, I, you, like myself, are a, uh, a reconstruction buff. <laughs> and I, th I thought of you today as I was sort of working through this, this argument because... I wonder if you think, it, to me, it's not an accident in some ways. We've ended up here in this portion of the Constitution with Donald Trump and this question. 
Yeah, that it is. It is fortuitous, right? So the the purpose of this amendment, the purpose of the Reconstruction Amendment, really, is to, in the words of a great book by uh, Mark Graber, uh, punish treason and reward loyalty. And this is in the face of this former slaveocracy, white supremacist uh, movement we call the Confederacy. And it feels very fitting that we are once again looking at what this provision entails for constitutional government in the face of a political actor whose movement is very much about um, restoring this idea of the country as belonging to a particular group of people uh, and, and belonging exclusively to this group of people to the exclusion of all other people, and to the extent that they're willing to undermine constitutional democracy itself Christian to make that vision real. And so it's like, it, it's not just that there's a there's this originalist argument for the 14th Amendment that I think is very straightforward, but that like this is in a lot of ways the precise circumstance that the Section 3 was written for. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask you, you know, one argument I think I've seen is that, well, they were they were thinking specifically about a certain insurrection, a certain rebellion, that Something they were using the term insurrection or rebellion, but it was fresh off the Civil War. And what they really meant was the following. If you participated on the side of the Confederacy, you're disqualified. They didn't mean it like going forward forever. Which is, I, I, that, you know, that's not the case. One thing that is precipitating section three which is written right in this 1865 1866 period is that there is this real fear that the former confederates plus northern democrats southern sympathetic democrats plus other actors are going to try to reclaim power and like right. uh take seat take power within congress once again uh, on this sort of almost perverse implications of the 13th amendment which frees uh ends in chattel slavery frees the slaves but also effectively repeals the three-fifths clause. And so in the South, with no three-fifths clause, all of a sudden these former Confederates could have the representational weight of all of these now-free black Americans. Uh, and the Republicans in Congress, the radical Republicans in particular, were terrified of this. And so they're looking forward. They're saying, we're trying to prevent something that may happen in right. the future using this, um, this language. And there's there's also something. I mean, I'm curious just what you think about the decision itself. I mean, you know, again, the, the history here to me is fascinating. I think the straightforward legal case is pretty clear, but it also is a complicated situation in in a sort of unprecedented situation. What, what do you think of that? I'm very much inclined to say that the legal reasoning is airtight. I, it's it's to me very straightforward what the Constitution demands in this case. The political case, not removing Trump from the ballot, is a, a bit trickier. And I think there's a legitimate case to make that it is would be counterproductive to have Trump disqualified in this manner, and that the best approach is at the ballot box. I also wonder, too, I mean, one of the things I've seen people sort of rebelling at the very notion of disqualification, that that itself is anti-democratic. And I return again, the reason this sort of, this sort of inner originalist little preamble here is because their vision of disqualification was precisely for the preservation of multiracial democracy against its foes. It wasn't dictatorial. It was precisely because those people posed such a threat the multiracial democracy that was in its infancy they were trying to to create amidst you know tremendous threat pressure and violence that it is a pro-democratic portion of a pro-democratic amendment 
That's right. Their their fear is that the Southern uh, former Confederates will once again be in Congress for empowering the states and just begin to repeal. <coughs> excuse me, repeal the efforts of the Reconstruction Congress to bring some degree of equality to the South. And in the same way, if we were all certain, right, that Donald Trump was going to respect uh, the Constitution, was going to respect uh, liberal democratic values, then I don't think this would be an issue. But obviously, because of January 6th, because we know that Trump is contemptuous of these things, and that there is a non-trivial chance that once in office again, Trump will again try to completely undermine constitutional government, it sets up the situation where this is not just a simply a case yeah. of differing political views, but this is someone who is opposed to the foundation of the system itself. And that's where the language of the, thir the 14th Amendment comes in and Section 3 comes in. All right, Jamal, by the way, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Uh, come in. Ladies and gentlemen. Presidente. Amigo. Hermano. I'm very proud to be here tonight to help launch the foundation of my Colombian brother. And I don't use that word lightly or sparingly. Now, philanthropy, in its purest sense, its most ancient roots, is being free enough to give without an expectation to get. It is the courage to contribute to a cause whose conclusion you may never see, nor benefit from. Oceans of impact, drops of glory. Now, I have studied leadership and leaders my whole life. And I have admired most the philosopher king leadership model. 3D leadership. 4D leadership, the notion that known visible decisions of today will create unknown invisible reactions tomorrow. How to best control those? How to best manage these known unknowns, but always with the right blend of wisdom and empathy to govern, not just simply rule, to keep the we, not just the me, us, not just I, the philosopher king. Ivan, you have done this, you are this, you will be this. I told you once, man. You are a rocket ship. This foundation will propel you and what you stand for to your next term of office. A different type of office. A global rocket ship powered by Colombian fuel. Your best is yet to come. And it could not come at a more necessary time. I see today Many leaders in front of me. But what about tomorrow's leaders? Who will be sitting in these chairs a generation from now? Or my new 
favorite program of the new foundation is one we are proudly supporting, helping to develop the talent of tomorrow. Wearing the hat of Libre Philanthropies, we are sponsoring in partnership with the foundation 120 future leaders from this wonderful nation that you all love so much. Who I expect will be sitting in these chairs in front of me many years from now. And we will need them in these chairs because the problems ahead of us are so difficult and complex. So many of the easy problems have already been solved. Just read the books of history. We are all the product of the price of progress. Thank goodness, in a way. But you know, I've never done easy in my life. You, Ivan, when have you done easy? Nunca. We don't do easy. We don't want easy. We are not moved to act by that which is easy. Neither our history nor our future is shaped by what is easy. They are both shaped by what is hard. This foundation will not be about the easy. Now let me tell you a story, please. 18 months ago, I came with my brother Nick and my friend Matt Swift to Cartagena to visit the president. We spent two rich and profound days together discussing many important, critical matters representing our respective interests. I was about to leave for the airport. The president and I were sitting alone, reflecting. And he said to me, George, you cannot imagine how the last two days have helped me. <laughs> I looked at him and said, Ivan, you cannot imagine how the last two days have helped me. I then got up to leave. He said, no, you cannot leave. I said, man, I have to go. He says, George, I have a gift for you. Please wait. I said, okay. I started to think, is it a plaque? Is it an award? Is it a certificate? And we waited. People running around. Everyone was waiting for this gift. And then a member of the presidential staff ran in and the president of Colombia presented me with a hammock, una maca. And then the following happened. Raise your right hand. Okay. What's going to happen in the future? I, George Logopedia. I, George Logopedia. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. To use a Colombian hammock. To use a Colombian hammock. <laughs> to read. To read. To think. To think. And enjoy, and enjoy the rest of my life. The rest of my life as a chairman, as a chairman, and a contributor, and a contributor to change the world, to change the world. So help me God. So help me God. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between Caesar salad dressing and ranch dressing? All right, Jamal Bowie. Always a pleasure. Thanks, sir. <laughs> Uh, coming up, we dive into details. What is the Colorado Supreme Court trying to tell the U.S. Supreme Court in its decision? That's next. One thing that's quite clear in the Colorado majority opinion uh, is how much the majority is writing for the conservative United States Supreme Court, knowing full well they will almost certainly review it. 
It's particularly true around the Supreme Court's terms of originalism, the original public meaning, a phrase they use, but also in the bedrock conservative principle that states are the ultimate arbiters of and administrators of elections, even federal elections. This has been a stalwart conservative piece of jurisprudence, and it is in that context that the Colorado justices take Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch in his own words when he was an appellate court judge and offer them back at him, citing him saying, yes, it is, quote, a state's legitimate interest protecting the integrity and practical functioning of the political process that permits it to exclude from the ballot candidates who are constitutionally prohibited from assuming office. This is part of a broader, longstanding tendency among conservatives of asserting that states' de rights devolve things to the states, even though that is often and has been historically to the great detriment of all kinds of voters of color and all sorts of other populations. Now, that exact same principle is going to come before a Supreme Court is likely going to find historic and perhaps comical ways to bend itself around to the other view. Everyone anticipates they're going to take this case. Most people think they will overturn it, but it's almost a Schadenfreude interest in exactly how they're going to do it. Melissa Murray is a professor at New York University School of Law, co-host of Strict Scrutiny Podcast, along with Leah Levin and my wife, Kate Shaw. Jeffrey Tubin is an attorney and legal analyst, and they both join me now. So I don't think there's much suspense, like, will they take it? They're going to take it, though it would be hilarious if they did. I also don't think there's a ton of suspense about they're going to let this stand. I don't think they will. The interesting question is like, how are they going to get there? What do you think? So, again, we saw that the Colorado majority cited Justice Gorsuch liberally from this Tenth Circuit decision when he was a judge. And this was, you know, what the kids on Twitter call a this you moment. Right, right. Right? So, are these your commitments? And this is a court that has been very clear about their commitments to textualism, their commitments to strict interpretation, their commitments to this idea of federalism, that there are certain things that are state prerogatives and are for the states to decide, including election law. And all of this is going to be tested in this case, because there's also this outstanding practical concern that if they allow this decision to stand, whether it's because of textualism, federalism, or whatnot, it means that there's going to be a patchwork quilt of disqualifications all around this country, right. patchwork ballots, yeah. and this election will probably right not on. seem super legitimate right. to the people that it needs to seem legitimate to. And that's a real concern. And it's not unlike the kind of practicality concerns that guided the court in Bush versus Gore back in 2000. <laughs> versus Gore, it's talk about states' rights. It is, it is, it is I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, what it means to be a conservative is to believe that states get to regulate their own affairs, right. especially when it comes to elections. And this is at issue a state statute in Colorado about the election. Just mm -hmm. as in Florida, it was Florida law saying under Florida yes, law, you, Al Gore, are entitled to a recount. I like it. It blows my mind. The prices blow my mind. Team like a billionaire. Are entitled to a recount. The Supreme Court in Bush v. Gore said, no, 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 this would be unfair to George W. Bush. It would violate his rights, thus George Bush is president. So, you know, these, these principles yield to results that the majority wants to, and I expect that's what would happen Yeah, I, I have to say, just to add to that, not only did they say, no, 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 it would violate his rights, it would violate his rights under the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, yes. which we have now found a novel interpretation of the Equal Protection Clause that this violates, though it's only good, said novel interpretation, for this decision and no more. This ticket for this train only, That's that, that was 
that was the heart of Bush v. Yeah. So I agree with everything that Jeff has said. I think one thing is different is that this is a very different court than the one yeah. in Bush versus Gore. This is a court whose legitimacy has been called into question yeah. numerous times over the last three years. This is not the court that was in 2000. And I think that has to weigh on them as I well. Like it. I don't know that it will it's necessarily mine. lead to a different the outcome, but it will shape mind. the way they get to that outcome. Well, and I also don't want to be, I, I don't want to be over, like, it is a set of novel issues. Like, and they say that in the majority opinion. I think they're quite clear about that. The big question of, like, yes, the plain language is clear, but, like, what counts as insurrection? And, and more, I think, precisely, who gets to say, who is the arbiter of whether an individual counts here? Well, and that's, that's where I think there is room for the Supreme Court to get rid of this case in a way that is intellectually respectable, which is, uh -huh. um, <laughs> which is you don't... That yes, it is true. A president, a, a presidential candidate, can be disqualified for um, supporting and engaging in insurrection. But Donald Trump was not given he adequate due process. He was not given uh -huh. adequate opportunity mm -hmm. to prove that he did uh, that he did not engage in it. That there was the trial was too attenuated. It was was too brief. Right. He wasn't allowed to subpoena witnesses. He wasn't allowed to take depositions. That's one way of getting rid of the case, overturning bill. it without too much embarrassing themselves. And, and the dissenters <laughs> in Colorado sort of laid the seeds for that when they talked Whatever about the idea that they were very reluctant self. to disqualify someone in the absence of a criminal conviction right. for insurrection. And so seeds of this are already in the water. So or I guess one, one thing that's very interesting about that, and mm -hmm. I also I, I agree, I think there's there's a their way out for them to not be as quite sort of like obvious as Bush v. Gore, though sort of where they had they were sort of their backs were up against the wall. They were just like, screw it, right? <laughs> I mean they were they but but in this case, I mean what's interesting is okay, I think that's a colorable argument. Right. That this is a serious thing to disqualify from a ballot. You need uh, the Constitution requires a level of process akin to a criminal conviction. Correct. Right. What's interesting about that is like, okay, <laughs> well, he might get a criminal conviction for a crime that isn't explicitly named as insurrection, but is essentially that. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, that becomes a fresh constitutional issue. Again. Well, that's why this issue isn't necessarily over, right. is that if if he gets convicted in one of these cases, particularly the Washington right. case, yes. which is the one likely to go to trial first, assuming the Supreme Court lets it go to, well, go, go, to go to trial, if he's convicted again, you, if he's convicted for a first time, then you will see other states come back to this issue, and then he will. There will be an even better argument, right. because he will have got that due process. process. You know, what's more a due process right than a criminal trial? Basically, so, the highest bar we have. So it's not it, this issue. Even if this Colorado decision is overturned at this point, it doesn't mean it's over for 2024. So I think that may be the mm -hmm. way that the court will proceed, like reverse on the Colorado Supreme Court decision, but then mm -hmm. allow the claim, allow the trials to go forward, that there is no presidential immunity for these criminal indictments. But it is worth noting that Jack Smith had the opportunity to specifically charge Donald Trump with insurrection and did not. Right. And so instead, it's this you know, obstruction of a congressional hearing, and that may also right. be chum in the water because there's this Fisher versus United States case where the court has to decide whether the meaning of the statute about obstructing governmental proceedings is meant to apply to something like this or simply something that is meant to apply to Enron, which is the origins of that statute in the first place. So there's a lot more that's going to happen here, but the court may try to split this baby. Uh, th there's mm -hmm. also, I mean, I guess mm -hmm. there's also a question of a timeline here. I mean, the, the, the timeline is sort of of the utmost importance in the immunity claims that are that are working their way up. We're going to talk about that a little more later. But 
there's also, I mean, there's a clock ticking here, right? You got to get people on the ballot. There's going to be a, a primary. I mean, I guess my question to you is, one of the things we know about the court is it moves as fast as it wants to. Right. So what do you expect here? Well, I, th I think they will move quick. They will move quickly on this one and they won't care particularly that um, the due process they demand will take too long. They just want to get this case out of the way and, and just, you know, let this people let the people of Colorado vote for who they want to. And, and you know, we, we're sort of doing a little mockery of the court. There is a principle here that is troubling sure. that, that where you don't allow. Um, the Republican Party to pick the candidate of the, uh, yeah. of their choice, and yes, it is true this this provision of the Constitution considers that. But you better be damn sure before you start kicking people off ballot. I mean, I agree with that. And the only thing I'll say in response to that is because I've seen a lot of people saying that, and I don't think it's like at all an illegitimate argument. It's just that, like, I guess my feeling is like the con the Constitution explicitly contemplates disqualification in a few different places, and so there is some category of political behavior, specifically political behavior. In supporting an insurrection in the case of an impeachment, right, with conviction that says, like, yeah, this person is rendered outside, like, they just can't stand for office again. I think that notion that that category even exists is a little offensive to us. But if it ever existed for a person, like, I just sort of feel like, yes, I get it. Like, it should be a high bar. But if there's anyone who's going to get up over the bar, Melissa, I feel like he's a pretty good candidate. Yes. Um, I <laughs> No argument there. But again, I think there is this question of, will this lead to even more instability? I mean, this yeah. is a court that I think is concerned about practicalities. And we've seen the court be concerned about practicalities, especially in the context of an election before. And I think that has to concern them, um, not the least of which their own leg legitimacy, but the legitimacy of this election and having this election pass the smell test for at least 50% of the country who thinks Donald Trump should be on the ballot. Yeah, I just want to read this last uh, line by Jesse Wegman, editorial board member of the Times, who said this. He said, it's easy to say Mr. Trump's ultimate rejection should come at the hands of the voters, not the courts. Agree with that. Obvious rejoiners and outright majority of voters already rejected the guy. Drinking coffee every day didn't work for me. It wasn't until I went from 195 to 133 that I figured out why. There's already rejected the guy in, in 2020, and we know how that turned out. Brutal violence, several deaths, enduring myth of a stolen election. Why should we expect it to be different the next time? That's the other thing that hangs over this. The final thing I'll say uh, and ask you, Jeff, is there's also the threat of violence towards the judges, the, the justices on the state Supreme Court and the SCOTUS justices. Like, they signed that majority opinion per curiam anonymously, essentially. You can look up their names, but... That's a real concern yeah, as well. And th this, there is violence hovering. Or, you, know, you know, there was just an, a, an arrest in Arizona that didn't get much publicity recently about someone threatening to kill, um, you know, all sorts of federal officials. You know, violence hangs over this. January 6th um, was, was um, you know, there is an aggressive prosecution has taken place. But right-wing violence in this country is continuing, and yeah. uh, uh, the FBI director has spoken about how difficult it is to stop it, and, and it hasn't gone away. Melissa Murray, Jeffrey Tubin, great to have you both here at the table. Appreciate it. Still to come, what if it works? What are the far-reaching ramifications that Melissa just spoke of if Donald Trump really does get kicked off a bunch of ballots? That's next. Mm. That fucking great. So everybody's assuming at this moment the Supreme Court will overturn the Colorado decision to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. It's not necessarily a given. One prominent appellate lawyer, Rafi Melkonian, joked on social media about how the high court could instead very easily open a legal and political Pandora's box. He said, quote, deny certain be legends. 
That means, as the Supreme Court could do what they have done with so many cases, what they do with most cases, just nothing. Refuse to take it. Let the Colorado court ruling stand. You guys figure it out. Or just leave it up to individual states to decide whether the ex-president is legally disqualified from the ballots. That would be a truly legendary decision. Because what would flow from it would almost certainly be a crazy and unprecedented legal patchwork. Now, there are at least 16 states with cases pending that challenge Trump's eligibility for office under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. There's, according to Lawfare Blog's Section 3 Trump disqualification track. Thank you for that, Lawfare. Include Alaska, Arizona, Maine, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, South Carolina, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Altogether, they represent 176 electoral votes. I don't think the challenges would succeed in all those states. In fact, in some of them, uh, they've already failed. They're just pending appeal. But Colorado has shown is that there really is a strong, plain text constitutional case here. It's not frivolous. It's real. And at least a few of these states could see successful challenge. What exactly would it look like to have Donald Trump kicked off the ballot? Whether you like it or not, we are facing an election next year. The successful challenge. What exactly would it Colorado? Include Alaska, Arizona, Maine, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, South Carolina, Texas, Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Altogether, they represent 176 electoral votes. I don't think the challenges would succeed in all those states. In fact, in some of them, uh, they've already failed. They're just pending appeal. But Colorado has shown is that there really is a strong, plain text constitutional case here. It's not frivolous. It's real. And at least a few of these states could see successful challenge. What exactly would it look like to have Donald Trump kicked off the ballot in four or five states before we're about to run a national election? Mm-hmm. That ultimately good for the country and most importantly, support the forces fighting for American democracy. Talk about that next. If the leading Democratic presidential nominee just got kicked off the ballot in a key battleground state, the entirety of the discourse the next day would be Democrats freaking out and hanring about what to do. It's not the case in the Republican Party. Trump gets kicked off the ballot in Colorado, and the consensus among his party challengers seems to be that it helps him with Republican primary voters, that it's a gift. Hmm. What if it is not just one state that ultimately declares Trump ineligible? What if it becomes three or four or 16? No, maybe, thinking out loud here, maybe they shouldn't nominate this guy. Amanda Carpenter is a writer and editor at Project Democracy, who previously served as a Republican communications director on Capitol Hill. Bill Steele is the former chair of the RNC, and they join me now. All right, the, we, we sort of passed through the legal arguments here, which I think are interesting, but the, the biggest thing that I've seen people arguing about uh, is starting tomorrow, this odd rice hack can change I like your life it. and help There's you drop mine. up to 13 pounds. The price is blowing my mind. There's one simple vision hack anyone can use to improve vision so you can say goodbye to your optometrist. The best thing that I've seen people arguing about uh, is, is the political ramifications. Like, what does this do to the country? What does it do to politics? What does it do to legitimacy? Amanda, what, what's your read? What, what is your Get another impression? candidate, for fuck's sake. Well, my impression is that we're going to have more questions than just this case more broadly about the rule of law. I mean, the reason we are here is not because Americans say, oh, we have kings in our country, we're okay with dictatorship, Donald Trump can do whatever he wants. Right. That is not what has happened at all. The only people failing to hold Donald Trump accountable so far are members of the elite in the Republican Party, either through the impeachment process or the unfolding Republican primary process. The American people rejected him as re-electing him as president in 2020, but put that aside, 
Now they we're testing him in questions of legal accountability. And people absolutely have a right to ask the question, um, courts, hey, does the 14th Amendment mean actually what it says? Could the courts decide? So the only thing we should really be worried about in terms of the politics is, are we going to resolve these questions, questions quickly before the election so that Americans can have full knowledge whether Trump did um, was involved in an insurrection and should be disqualified from office. But more broadly, I think the more important question legally uh, is being posed right now by Jack Smith and whether Donald Trump as a president is immune from the law or not. He should be tried as a terrorist and a traitor. I, I agree with that analysis. I think it's spot My on. Question. This is exactly where we are. So I want to take what Amanda just said and just move it out a little bit further because that is the sweet spot of the argument. Now let's deal with the, un the ugly underbelly of right. the argument. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the, any of this, how any of this plays out. There's a narrative that's been set in motion around Donald Trump yep. that regardless of outcome, circumstances, or situations, the end game is the same, to empower him and to empower this movement that is in, in enabling him, that will not hold him accountable for anything. So while the court is swinging and thinking and moving, and in some cases, as we've seen um, in some of the issues related to his free speech rights as a candidate, bending over backwards and trying to, to stay consistent with uh, the constitutional norms and the rule of law, you have at, at hand um, within the Republican Party itself, among activists around the country, a general consensus that this is all about Trump, and we yeah. will be there to make this realize, make it realizable for him, whether he, you know, is rejected by the American people or not. The narrative stays the same for them. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I really go back and forth on this. I think, you know, this is what uh, John Wood said today in the U to, uh, USA Today. Trust in our civic and legal institutions among Republicans already at perilous lows would burn through the Earth's crust if the judicial system blocks the most popular GOP candidate from the ballot. I think he's right, but then at the same time, it's also like, right, but if he loses fair and square, <laughs> they're all going to freak out too. Like, at a certain point, like, you know, this is what drives me crazy about this whole discussion is like, they, we did it. The country did it. They People mobilized. They gathered. They had a free and fair election. He lost by 7 million votes. It wasn't particularly close to the Electoral College. Like, it all happened. He lost by 8 million fucking votes. And he also, and he lost by 3 million votes in 2016, so. Fucking Uh-oh. I know we're going to, uh, knitting. Nhung Han Min. That was that. Okay. Harry and Megan's dire 24 predictions. 22 hours ago, Sky News Australia. Hi, this is Katie Porter. I'm officially okay. running for the U.S. Senate in California, Yay. and I need your support. You, Here are three reasons why your donation right now makes a real difference. One, investing in our campaign now gives us the best chance of success. The stakes in the U.S. Senate are too high, and we need a warrior in Washington. Two, 
I don't accept a cent of corporate PAC or lobbyist money. Some candidates rely on big donors and special interests to fund their campaigns, but I have always stood up to corporate power. I work for you, not them. Three, we have a big fundraising deadline coming up, and reporting strong fundraising numbers will show the power of our grassroots movement. Can you please chip in today? Our grassroots... Prince okay. Harry and Meghan Markle have had a tumultuous 2023, and things are looking even more dire in 2024. Dire. Sky News All-Star Esther Kraku reflects on the Rebel Royals past year and predicts what's to come. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have had a rough 2023. Business fails, reputational damage and family tensions have put strain on the pair individually and as a couple. To top off a less than ideal year for Harry and Meghan, the pair were named the biggest losers of 2023, with this decline in popularity looking set to intensify in 2024, according to Sky News All-Star Esther Kraku. Joining us now is writer and broadcaster Esther Kraku. Esther, Crackered. to think we started this year talking about spare, that seems like a lifetime ago. Crackered. But the year didn't really improve too much for the Sussexes, finding themselves amongst the biggest losers for 2023. Isn't she on track? Yes, so that is according to the Hollywood Reporter, which is basically the Hollywood Bible of the who, who's who in, 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 in the Tinsel Town. And for them to find themselves basically as, as themselves as the base, basically the biggest losers in Hollywood really does say something about how the attitude towards them, particularly amongst the, the powers that be that really emboldened them when they made uh, their massive exit from the royal family, it just shows how like they've declined in popularity. It, it's really quite a fall from grace, if you will. Uh, for them to be classed as the biggest losers means that actually a lot of the people that you would think would hover around them and, and try and, you know, steal a bit of, of the limelight given their proximity in the royal family. I mean, Prince Harry is a prince, for goodness sake. They're just not seeing really any value there. You know, this is a couple that went from having deals with Netflix and Spotify, these multi-million pound deals. They were having interviews with Oprah. You couldn't run away from them in the headlines. They were literally everywhere. Everyone was thinking, what are they going to do next? Are they going to bring down the royal family? What, you know, trailblazing venture are they going to embark on next? And that's really all just shattered under their own feet because they really just didn't understand a lot of the fundamental uh, key characteristics that's made the royal family uh, effectively last this long. You know, the never explain, never complain, the humility, the, the commitment to, to service and, 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 and duty. We never really saw that with the Sussexes and it really just made their star wane and for that reason, many in Hollywood don't really see the point of attaching themselves to the Sussexes. I mean, they've had so many fails this year. It, it really it, it like belief. It's very hard to even contemplate where to begin. Uh, 2023 hasn't been a good year for the Sussexes. And I, I imagine that the decline like is only going dollars. to continue. Um, again, like I was saying with their relationship with the royal family, their reputation as well has calcified. Most people in one way or another have an opinion about the Sussexes, whether it's you know, just not caring about them or not really seeing much point to them. Even if you're mega fans, you cannot argue that 2023 has been a good year uh, for the pair. Esther Kraku also highlighted Meghan and Harry's severe great. reputational damage that occurred this year due to their undignified reaction 
to their circumstances. Hmm. For him to be able to be seen by the British public as, as a human being who made mistakes, who's a lovable character, who's someone in tune with reality, to now this kind of moaning, really miserable, middle-aged man uh, who doesn't seem to understand that he's a literal prince and couldn't have more privilege if he tried, uh, it just goes to show that actually that you have to have a certain level of self-awareness and that's something that the royal family has really mastered. Even, even in times of crisis, even in times of, you know, when the royal family uh, had a lot of internal conflicts like now, now but the, for instance, back in the 1990s with the dissolution of, of the marriage between uh, uh, Diana and King Charles, it, you know, there was still a sense of actually we realize that we're in a very privileged position and we have to be we tread carefully and about how we, we come across. And I don't think the Sussexes ever learned that. I mean, one of the points that I made is the Sussexes never really displayed a sense of duty. It only took a couple of years for them to storm out of the royal family, um, like petulant children, you know, release an interview with Oprah, where they were with Oprah, when, you know, release a book like Spet, where they were just complaining, release a Netflix documentary, again, where they were just complaining and complaining. Those to show that actually they didn't have a lot of grit, which, which made demonstrate that their hearts weren't in it or they had uh, had uh, um, which don't align with, with with what the royal family is about and we're seeing that as they're seeing that as there's four you and can actually see the flaws in the, in, the, in, in the couple's character a major business fail for harry and Meghan amongst losing lucrative media contracts has been the quick decline of their charity archwell it appears their charity Archwell doesn't be, doesn't appear to be doing much work or too well in on the donation front either. Either. Yeah. So in in the span of the year, the Archwell Foundation has million. seen a drop in almost nine million pounds in uh, in the the donations. And um, this is up down from you know they received about ten point four million last year. This year they've they've, they've received only about one point two, I believe. <clears throat> so it's quite a steep decline in their donations. And this is another thing that's a to their brand as brand sussex effectively tumbles down and it's effectively free falling so does anything attached to them including the archie world foundation now it's very strange because you would think that this couple that have effectively said that the great crusaders and they're going to do good on their own terms and not be attached to the royal family they're actually learning the hard way that the the public perception of them does affect their ability to be able to have the kind of impact that they want to have and unfortunately that's a very tough lesson to learn now they don't have any of the expertise of the resources or, or the uh, experience that the royal family has or, or, or really anyone that's run a, a charity organization or does charitable work so they're really kind of finding their feet and learning as they go along but a big part of that is reputation management and when you spend the last few years Harry and Megan. They made like a billion dollars. And I heard they made a billion dollars last year.
moaning and whinging about your negative experience in the royal family and how awful your family are to you and the British press and all of these things, that does impact you, your, your, the, the public's perception of you. Rachel. And the pressure Rachel. of the last year has inevitably caught up with the couple, with Sky News host Danica DiGiorgio predicting Meghan and Harry are headed for Splitsville in 2024. Danica, what's your big prediction? Harry and Meghan will split next year, finally. Ooh. The woe is me couple will call it quits. I think Meghan will be the one to initiate it. She's had enough. She wants to go back to Someone's her team. Someone's going to clips on YouTube. She wants to go back. She wants to go back. She wants to go back to her degrade acting career. She realises that it hasn't quite worked out with Harry because her career's gone nowhere. They're going to call it quits and he'll re-kindle re the family. Throughout the year, well. whispers of a royal reconciliation between Prince Harry and and his family have swelled. But after the damaging accusations in the new book Endgame levelled against the royal family, Esther Krakow says King Charles is keeping his distance. There's more to explore at Zoo Lights. Enjoy a brand new Lake Lights show on the five-story... Yes, I mean, we... we said, I think this commentator is wrong. Harry and Meghan are doing great. They seem to be thriving away from the weird royal family. And I hear, heard they made a billion dollars last year. From reports um, within the royal family that the king is keen on some sort of reconciliation. This is a man in his mid-70s. He only has two children. He, he's obviously, you know, nearing the end of his life or at the point where you start to reflect on things. Uh, he's not happy about the situation between the Sussex and the royal family or the fact that this rift risk, really risks calcifying in this way. But, you know, it, it's very hard to be, for him to justify trying to bring the Sussexes back into the fold, especially given the latest allegations made in, in Omid Scobie's book Endgame, where, you know, you have the likes of the king and, and, and Princess Catherine effectively being humiliated by being called racist without having the right to reply. Uh, and, and I can imagine, you know, just getting on with it is, is very difficult when you have someone assassinating your character in this way. So it will be very, it, it, it will be a, such a tightrope for, for, it is such a tightrope for the king to, 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 to walk to try and, you know, have some sort of relationship with his, his son, Harry, and, and his family, but also try and maintain the peace uh, within his family. I mean, we heard reports that the Sussexes hinted that they would be open to receiving a, an invitation to Sandringham this year and even uh, wanting to attend. But actually, th th it's not been clear that any invitation has been extended to them, um, which I guess is, is another reality that's going to hit home. I'm personally very sceptical um, of whether th there's any going back from this. I don't think... Uh, Prince William wants to have very much to do with the Sussexes. I think there's also the very real threat of the lack of privacy. Um, we can't trust that there's not going to be some sort of Netflix camera in the corner or, uh, you know, some hidden microphone for all the Sussexes complaining about a lack of privacy. Um, and even Prince Harry's recent case where lack he was £100,000 in, in a phone hacking scandal. You know, it's very likely that other members of the royal family have faced a similar ordeal. And for, for one of your own, for someone within your own circle to effectively be doing the same thing that he's accused others of doing, um, by publishing memoirs and going to Netflix and, 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 and publishing Secrets of the Family in such a tawdry and, 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 and uncouth manner. You know, how can King Charles bring them back in the fold? There would be no peace for anyone. You just, it would be like bringing the enemy within and it would be a deeply uncomfortable experience. So I know King Charles is very cognizant of that and unfortunately, this is what he's going to have to face for, I suspect, many more years. And in stark contrast to Harry and Meghan's struggling popularity, the royal family, and in particular, Princess Kate, has only been on the up this year, proving the racism scandal had no negative impact on their reputation. 
Now onto Princess Kate, and despite the barrage of allegations, allegations to have been aimed at her this year, including uh, those racism claims made in Endgame, Endgame, just getting more and more popular. Do you think it's because she just gets on with it and keeps her head down? Down? I think so, and I think that there is an element of understanding that most things will blow over, blow over. Outrage mobs don't don't have the stamina to keep being outraged for, for months or even years at a time, at a time. Today, it's, it's very difficult to be in the public eye and not have moments where you have negative media press or the media press or the unsubstantiated claims against you, especially as a working member of the royal family, where you effectively forfeit your right of forfeit your right. You know, you can't complain to the media, you can't uh, effectively make your case because most people don't want most people don't um and that's something that you know princess catherine understands this is a woman that was involved with kate was involved with from a very young age you know she was she received a lot of negative media attention she was called weighty katie katie and the press followed her every move we've really seen her evolve from a young woman in university to to now being the future queen and in all of that she's never given an inclination that she's not grateful or that she hates what she's doing or um she she's a victim in any way she really just gets on with it and i think that's a mantra that many members of the royal yeah, family have, have have adopted that's been very successful and it, it, the Sussexes are a prime example of how things can go south once you deviate from that. Once you, you make it known that actually you feel like a victim and everyone must must treat you as such, um, you're not going to get very far. And unfortunately, that's the name of the game. You do forfeit certain things when you are in a position of prominence. And unfortunately, your right to complain uh, is one of them. Constitutional right to complain. Starting tomorrow... This odd rice hack can change your life and help you drop Petition up to 13 pounds week grievances. after week. The reason First Amendment. Oh, man. Not that. Who's fucking Rachel? I think Carrie and Megan are doing great. Right, what other bullshit can you check out? Simpsons warning us? Simpsons is warning us about this Bible event. Check this out. Rapture? <laughs> oh, Mr. Thompson. What if your wife finds out? It's modern times. Everyone's doing it. Where did my Christian limo driver go? Huh. My pious husband is missing. The baby I chose to have baptized is gone. Mr. Thompson, what's happening? It's the rapture, Shauna. The rapture. Uh -huh. The virtuous have gone to heaven, and the rest of us have been left below. We were fools, and because we rejected God, tacitly accepting Satan, we must suffer through the apocalypse. Jesus is coming back. And if you're not right with him, click the link that's pinned and hit that subscribe button.
Simpsons is warning us about this Bible event. Simpsons knows about stock market. my candidacy for president of the United States. Former President Donald Trump has officially announced he will be running for presidency in 2024, but he still remains second on the U.S. election odds board, trailing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who leapfrogged him and currently sits in first place at plus 225 giving DeSantis an implied probability of just over 30%. DeSantis cleaned up at the Florida gubernatorial. Guess what? The Simpsons have yet again predicted the future. Donald Trump announced that he will be running for president again in 2024. This prediction was animated. This must be old. Made back in 2015 in the Simpson short, A Trumptastic Voyage. Homer flies by a sign that predicts Trump will run for president every year from 2012 to 2028. So yes, they did predict he would run in 2024, along with a few other years. We'll just have to see what the future holds. Yes. There's gonna be, yeah, I predict he's going to be knocked off the ballot and he's going to be uh, ineligible to run for office. And probably he's going to get all his uh, assets taken away from him, <clears throat> liquidated, and uh, going to go back to the public good. I don't um, You know, they're going to seize his assets and um, liquidate it. He's going to have to sell off all his property to pay off all the, all the damages. That's my prediction. So it says, when will World War III start? Alexa, when will World War Three start? World War Three starts on November 23rd, 2023 at 6.05 p.m. when Russia launches an attack against Germany. Huh? <laughs> Alexa, when will World War Three start? World War Three starts on November 23rd, 2023 happen. at 6.05 p.m. Let's see what they say in the comments. Wrong. Well, it's your 24 number of 23 and no World War Three started. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. World War Three didn't start. Wrong. Tried telling this to my landlord and I still have to pay my rent. <laughs> P.O.B. you're watching this in 2023 or November 23. Welcome to death. Nothing happened. 